Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Readers on the Wall. This is episode 36. My name is Harrison, and joining me today are my two lovely co-hosts, Madison and Brooke. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Super. <laughs> Super. Had a, had, a, had a good week? I did. I got to see my family, and that's always so fun. I went home and spent the weekend with my mom and my siblings. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, my aunt and uncle are actually up from Pennsylvania. They've been up for like the last couple of weeks, so we've just been hanging out and having a good time. So it's good stuff. Love it. That's cool. I um, I I, I guess my week was a little sad. My uh, my grandfather passed away from no. a long no. battle of cancer, which was really tough to go through. But it was it, like pretty much everyone in the family kind of had that vibe of like, all right, like we thought you were you were gonna die, like five months ago basically yeah so yeah still, still rough to go through but we uh we, held, sure. a little, we held a little memorial service just you know close-knit family um everyone got up together in washington i unfortunately couldn't go up but they zoomed me zoomed me in oh good so, at least you got to sort of be there you know yeah no it was good we all just kind of you know it was just kind of a hey let's all just share memories of grandpa and that's nice yeah, yeah. it was it's nice and heartwarming i got the got the chat with some of my cousins and things like that so that's good so yeah, but I'm uh not to bring everyone down, but I am <laughs> I'm I'm just really excited to to get into this episode. So um we are officially this guys like we're breaking the bottle on the ship as it sails out <laughs> into the sun, you know? We are heading into the deep waters of a clash of kings. This is the first episode of our series of rereading a clash of kings and discussing it as we go. Like scale of one to ten, how how hyped are you? Eleven. I'm hyped. Yeah, I'm, okay, say, I'm hyped for Brooke because you say reread. This is Lady Targaryen's first go. That yes. is true. That is yes. very true. I'm, I'm actually super excited because this book is when things start to diverge. From Me too. The show. That's why. That's why I'm so excited because I feel like this is really when I'm going to start learning things that I don't know already and learning all that extra lore and everything that Grim likes to throw in. So I'm super excited. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's I'm really hyped for this. Um, so um, just the general game plan for today is we're going to be doing a kind of a quick recap of Game of Thrones. And the purpose that we're doing that is because we want um, people who are kind of jumping in to a Clash of Kings to be able to start on this episode or I guess our transitional episode we did and you know, just go forward from here. So if someone's like, I want to, I want to listen to this podcast, but I'm, I'm, I've already read Game of Thrones. I want to reread A Clash of Kings. They could just start here. We're gonna do a little recap for everybody, so we know where all the characters are from, from the events of Game of Thrones, and then we'll get right into the discussion of the first chapter in the book. I guess the zero chapter of the book, technically, <laughs> which is uh, the prologue. Yes. And then from then on, so next week and the week after, we're gonna be doing three chapters a week and discussing them and summarizing them for you guys as we go. Awesome. Um, yeah, perfect. Um, so we um, we kind of made just a quick list of all the characters, all kind of the, ma the main players that we need to know about. 
and we divided them up, up amongst ourselves, and we're just going to be doing, just like I said, little recaps of where they're all at. Um, you know, Brooke actually had this awesome idea, so of course that means, Brooke, I, I'm going to make you go first. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Can I pick any of my characters? Does it matter which order I go in? Uh, you Am I doing them all at once? Um, let's see. Why don't... Yeah, why don't you just do them all at once? That way okay. we can just listen to your lovely, lovely voice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so I had, um, I'll just list who I have and then I'll go into detail. So I had Danny Jorah and the Dothraki. I had Varys the Spider. I had Prince Joffrey. I had Cersei and Jamie Lannister and Brandon Rick and Stark. So. Nice. Yes, a good spread of everybody. Um, so I had, with Danny Jorah and the Dothraki, where we, where did we leave off? Well, a lot has happened across the Narrow Sea. Um, first, we had a little bit of blood magic happening. So Drogo got sick, and he fell off his horse, and he was dying. And Danny brought in Miri Mazdur to save Drogo at any cost, which meant a blood magic ritual. And it didn't actually work. Danny ended up losing her baby because amongst all of this stuff, Jorah took her into the tent that they weren't supposed to enter. And it, it messed everything up. And the, a price for life is death. And so Danny ended up losing Rago, the baby, and it saved Drogo, but he was a vegetable, basically. Um, and that's no way for a, a Dothraki call to live. So Danny, you know, she bathed him. She kind of, you know, brushed his hair and braided his hair and put his bells in his hair and dressed them all up and then she said her goodbyes and she actually mercy killed Drogo so that was a really sad moment and then they built a huge funeral pyre for Drogo and she tied Murray Mazdur up to a stake and they lit the pyre and she put her three dragon eggs in the pyre and she lit the pyre and you know, Mary Mazder, she burned to death. And then all of a sudden, Danny decided that she needed to step into the pyre. Jorah told her not to, but she did anyways. She said just to trust her. And then in the come morning, there was no more fire. And Danny stepped out all scorched, but alive with three baby dragons. I mean, what a way to end the series. <laughs> I I, so I, feel like I, I feel like we should have had like a little audience gasp throughout all that. Right? I know, like. Can you add a sound effect there? Right, yeah. <laughs> I'll see what I can pull off. <laughs> so back across the narrow sea, I'll go to Varys. So the last couple of times we saw Varys, um, the first time, the first of the last times we saw him, he was in disguise down in the dungeons trying to convince Ned to basically admit to the treason that he, that er, that Cersei and the Lannisters say he committed, which he obviously didn't. He's just telling the truth. And um, for the sake of the girls, uh, the Stark girls, because Ver and the, in the sake of the realm. But he was like you know, telling Ned, you know, basically, if what dying with honor what does that get your family you know what does that do for for everybody else um so and then the next time we saw Varys is when he was running across the stage after prince joffrey so nicely decided to execute our favorite ned stark um so that's the last time we saw Varys. we still don't really know quite what Varys is up to we know he's scheming and got plans but we and he's fighting for the good of the realm as he always says but we still don't quite know what Varys is up to right now 
Yeah, I would I, I would say um he does have some schemes with Illyria, whether it was that was that Arya chapter that she, you know, came upon them and they were walking through King's Landing in the you know, down in the down in the basement basically, and they were mm-hmm. planning on things, saying, Hey, we need to d- to delay everything that's happening over on, on the narrow sea and Varys is like, bro, like, I don't know. It ain't, like, I can't stop this. Like, right. you know, <laughs> there's are too really many too things quick. happening. Yeah, exactly. So I just wanted, I just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll slide over to Prince Joffrey next. So mm-hmm. Prince Joffrey's been pretty nasty lately. So after, right. Surprising, shocking <laughs> after Cersei and Sansa, um, both pleaded for mercy for Ned and to allow Ned to take the black. Joffrey then, basically pretty much the mo- at the moment of execution, according to everyone's reactions, decided to execute Ned anyways. Um, once that happened and all the chaos ensued, they pretty much immediately started demanding oaths of fealty from all the lords as well. And um, especially the Starks, of course, Rob and Catelyn and everybody, because Rob is king in the north right now. And then on top of all of his cruelness, um, after Sansa pleaded for mercy and he made it seem like he was going to give it to Ned, um, he takes Sansa and he brings her up to the, I think it's like the ramparts or something, where all of the heads are staked on spikes. And there sits Ned's head and he makes Sansa look at her own father's head on the stake. And then proceeds to tell her that she w- that Joffrey will bring her her brother's head to put on the stake and even her, um, Oh no, darn. I lost the word. Uh, <laughs> what do you call, uh, Septa, even oh. her Septa's head and put her Septa's head on the spike, just being just, you know, mean, rotten, cruel, arrogant Prince Joffrey that we all love to hate. So that's what Joffrey's been up to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Cersei and Jamie. We left Jamie. He has been captured by Rob Stark. Rob kind of fooled Tywin, um, and ended up defeating Jamie's men and taking men uh, and taking Jamie hostage. Um, and then Cersei, the last time we saw her, she was trying to convince Joffrey to allow Ned to take the black, and then she was shocked on the stage as well when um, Joffrey decided to execute him. So that's where we left her. And Bran and Rick and Stark, the last time we saw them, we saw them at Winterfell. Um, They were having, both boys had dreams about their father, Ned, down in the crypts. And then right after that, we discover, they discover that Ned has died. Um, They get the raven in. So that's where we left them at Winterfell, sad and upset. (laughs) Now that you say that, that that seems like, I don't know, I feel like we got some pretty great, arcs in terms of character growth and you know like a beginning a rise and a fall and i feel like brandon rickon was like oh they found out he's dead and all right i'm done <laughs> i know i know <laughs> I, I think I, I think i remember talking about that in that chapter but just every time it comes up it just kind of makes me realize that i feel like grim didn't really have everything you know i mean it, it's grim so he doesn't have everything figured out exactly but <laughs> right it does it's, it just kind of seems sudden almost mm-hmm. like it's like there could have been more story to it. Like, it's an okay place to stop, but it's like, there could that have chapter, been more, you know? That chapter was good, though, because it does show, in case you were wondering if you had some inklings of feelings going on, it did show that the Starks do have some 
abilities, you know, That's when true. it really, it really showed that Rickon had some idea of what was going on before it happened and that, you know, we were really getting a good idea of, you know, brands, abilities and stuff, just some, just some little teasers. So I think those last few chapters with brand kind of made us go, what's going on with them? Like, what can they do? Are they magic? You know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Right. I like it. All right. That's all I had. Those are mine. Awesome. Cool. Um, Madison, you do have a li- list, right? I just realized it looked, yes. looked at the t- Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I just took the ones you guys left. <laughs> okay. So I took all the, all the leftovers. <laughs> Not that we didn't love the leftovers. No, um, I mean, I, I liked everyone I got, so I'm good to go. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, just checking. All right, cool. Well, um, I think I'll I'll jump in, and we're we're going we're going all out of order. I'm just trying to throw you guys off. Um, right? <laughs> no, this is not our order. Just saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not happy about this. Okay. Um. So, um, just a quick list of who I got. I have Arya, Sansa, Ned, Robert, Stannis, and Renly. So I think I'm gonna start with Robert, and I'll move to the Starks, and then I'll end up on Stannis and Renly. So. Robert Baratheon is dead, everybody. No! No! It's terrible. We'll never figure find out about the breastplate stretcher. We'll just we'll <laughs> never know. <laughs> so, basically, Robert was just in this situation as king where he just really didn't care. I mean, his his hand was, you know, Ned Stark, he was attacked in the streets by Jamie Lannister, and basically Robert was like, hey guys, just like, let's just forget about this. I want to go hunting really bad. And you guys are really throwing my plans off. And so he just, and he was really unhappy as king. He wasn't really in a good state. And he was being, I would say he's being pretty, since he was so out of touch with what was going on in the kingdom, basically Littlefinger and a lot of the other council members sort of controlled what was happening in the kingdom. And it's, you know, the the, the kingdom's in massive debt right now. And I would say part of that is because because Robert was so out of, you know, out of touch, but he went on a hunting trip and he was, um, Lancel Lannister was kind of his, I wouldn't say he's a squire, but it's just kind of his helper. He came along with them and he basically made sure Robert got drunk on under the orders of Cersei. And he ended up being killed by a boar. He, they shipped him back to King's Landing. Um, he named Ned as protector of the realm until Joffrey came of age, which of course Ned, you know, decided to scratch that out and put his his heir, little poor, Ned Ned being deceiving and lying, shocking, I know, shocking, I know, right? And that was his last order as king, and then he passed away sadly. Uh, even though he was quite a terrible king, to be honest, I think we will still miss him. Um, R.I.P. Bobby B. Pretty much. Um, our next. Next one um, is is another death, unfortunately. Um, This is Ned Stark. So Ned Stark was killed. Um, Basically, basically what happened, he went into, um, you know, serve the orders that he was going to be protected of the realm. Cersei ripped up the letter and they arrested Ned Stark um, via Littlefinger, who was who betrayed him. He was thrown in the black sails, um, just like like Brooke said, Varys tried to convince him to admit to the to the treason to the king so that that way he would be shipped up to the wall and to join join the night's watch which was which would have been a great spin-off show you know (laughs) on the wall and maybe hang out with benjin if we ever find him again um Mm -hmm. but ned went out on the steps he he actually did make the confession to treason but joffrey ended up killing him 
And this was this is the the dead direwolf in the snow, right there. Just like it was foreshadowed in the way in in the way, um, the heck the, uh, the first chapter of the book. Um, once once when that direwolf mother was killed, all of her children were basically left to fend for themselves, and that's kind of how it's feeling right now, with Ned. You know, with him being killed, Sansa and Arya are basically on their own. John is way up way up you know on the wall. Rob's was heading down south to free him and avenge him, and now he doesn't have a father, and he's left to rule this giant army and this giant kingdom, which is, I'm sure, pretty pretty rough for him. Um, the pack survives. Pretty much. Uh, but yeah, this is the moment where all of his kids are basically on their own now, and that leads me to Arya and Sansa. Sansa, um, kind of the last time we saw her, she basically did end up going to Cersei and sort of tell her the plans that her father. She was kind of she was manipulated into all of this, where she basically told her t- told Cersei about her father's plans, which kind of led to this this backstab from Littlefinger and so on and so forth. And I mean, I, I don't put a ton of blame on Sansa. I mean, heck, what she's thirteen, I believe. And yeah, I'm sure you know. You can, you know, adults can manipulate teenagers pretty easily, unfortunately. Right, she's 13 and she's clearly naive. <laughs> exactly, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, I would say I don't blame her. I'm not angry about it, but it does, does still kind of stink. It's just a bad circumstance. Um, She is currently, she witnessed her father's death. She full on saw it occur. It was just, uh, just, just as much of a shock to her as it was to pretty much everybody else who was, who was there. And um, uh, Brooke kind of covered it the last time we saw her. her last chapter was um, of her looking on her father's head on the ramparts. And, you know, she had a little defiant moment there. She considered pushing Joffrey off off of the ramparts, even, even at the detriment of her own life. Um, of course, we know the hound stops her, stops her and um, th- that doesn't end up happening. But basically, she's just basically a prisoner in King's Landing right now. Um We'll get to her chapters pretty quickly in Clash of Kings, and she's not in a very good state. Um, she's very depressed and quite suicidal, I would say, at this point. And it's it's kind of, it's it's a rough going, to be honest. Her story is very is pretty tough to read, in my opinion, especially her last chapter in A Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, that rough. Yeah, that last um, chapter, something. Yeah, it's really oh man, it's brutal. Um, Arya, she um. While she was in the crowd when Ned Stark was killed, her father, um, Yorin, a member of the Night's Watch, actually took her aside and hid her and didn't allow her to see her father father be killed. And the last time we saw her was she was kind of living in Flea Bottom. She wasn't in, in King's Landing after the, the Lannisters attacked the Starks, and she was kind of fending for herself. But Yorin took her, took her into an alleyway and... The, the last chapter is kind of vague as to what is happening, but um, I don't know. You could probably figure it out. But a lot of people, when this fir- book first came out, a lot of people were like, holy crap, Arya's dead. Like the stranger just took her and killed her, which I thought was kind of fun, which is kind of funny when I, you know, I didn't experience that when the, when the book first came out. <laughs> but basically, Yorn took her aside. He's going to cut her hair, cut her hair to make her look like a boy. And. And as we get into the chapter, um, it happens in the show. We learn about this, so I don't mind telling this. She's basically going to join Yorin's um, recruits, and they're going to be heading up north. Um, let's see. I think, yeah. So that's all the Star- all, That's all the Starks kind of in the King's Landing area covered. Um, then I have Stannis and Renly. So 
Renly was on the hunt with Robert. He witnessed him being attacked by the boar. When they came back to King's Landing, he basically tried to convince to convince Ned to, hey, let's let's I have a hundred men on my side, let's grab your men and let's basically grab the Lannister children, hold them hostage, and let's basically just take over this kingdom right now. We need to act now. And Ned just, you know, PTSD moment. He didn't really want to, you know, kidnap kids, possibly have them killed, just like when the um, Rhaegar's children were killed uh, during the sack of King's Landing way back in the day. And he just couldn't handle that, and he basically denied Renly and said no. Renly then took his men with Loras Tyrell and they headed off to High Garden and we'll find out what he's what he's going to be up to in this book. And Stannis, we he really wasn't in Game of Thrones that much. Basically, once um Jon Arryn was killed, Stannis basically fled to Dragonstone and he's been on there ever since. He's just kind of this enigma, this, you know, um you know, this character who's just off on his own. He's brooding on Dragonstone. We really don't know what he's up to, but we but we'll discuss him in this first prologue chapter because that's where we are going. We are going to be going to Dragonstone and learning what he has been up to. Uh, that's that's all my summaries. All right, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have Robin, Catelyn, Tyrion, and Tywin, Littlefinger, and John. And I think you guys were much more thorough in your recaps than I planned to be. So if I forget, I tried to be uh, short, so I don't know. (laughs) I was like, eventually, I was like, oh my god, I'm talking so long, like I don't know what happened. If I I, I if I skim over anything that you think needs a little more attention, you just let me know. (laughs) Oh, that's fine. I I I think I don't know. I kind of have the uh, once I get the ball rolling, sometimes it's hard for me to stop a little bit. Yes, yes. That may happen to be too. You never know. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I'm sure you're going to do amazing, Madison. No okay. You can do it. <laughs> okay. So, Rob and Catelyn are in the Riverlands currently. Um, after Joffrey beheaded his father, Rob is crowned king in the north by his bannermen, and he declares um, the north and the Riverlands an independent kingdom. And officially, um, that's the beginning of this war that's starting. The War of the Five Kings is him, like, outright declaring himself king. So that's what those guys are up to. They're in the Riverlands, and they're just, like, preparing to go to a super big war. <laughs> um, <laughs> anything Anything you want to add in there about Rob and Catelyn? No, that's, that, no, no, that's that about good. it. He's not something he, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just, he's in a, I don't know, I would say he's in a decent position as of now. We'll kind of We'll get into into right. his, what state he is in pretty quickly in in a clash of kings. But as of right now, I mean, he did a really big blow to the Lannisters. He's got River Run protected, and he's kind he's of doing a, a decent he, job for being inexperienced. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. pretty much. Okay, with Tyrion and Tywin. So after Jamie was captured by Rob and Catelyn and all those guys. Um, Tywin falls back to the stronghold of Harrenhal, and he orders uh, Tyrion to return to King's Landing to counsel Joffrey, acting as Hand of the King. He also instructs him not to bring Shay with him or anything. <laughs> and that's, I mean, yeah, I know it sounds, I mean, oh, uh, I mean, again, I'm, I'm starting to blur the lines because I read way ahead in Clash of Kings. So there's things that I'm like, 
do we know this only because of Clash of Kings, or do we know this from a Game of Thrones? <laughs> but he is taking his um his clansmen with him as sort of his uh his his guard. He's taking clansmen with him. Again, I can't remember if he says that in a Game of Thrones or if I only know that because of Clash of Kings. But uh, Tyrion is headed to King's Landing to act as the hand of the king, and um, Tywin is headed to Harrenhal to kind of get a good position to kind of wrap his head around everything to get everything um planned out to figure out his next move against rob and kind of you know just get reorganized yeah Gotta get Jenny I, back. I, I will say yeah. um i will say um two kind of important other, other things i want to add to that so um his decision to head head to heron hall once i think i'm kind of with you i don't know if it's happening in game of thrones or clash of kings but i think it's still <laughs> important he went to Harrenhal kind of against the request from Cersei to basically come back to King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And Cersei gets pretty pissy about that later later on, early in this book. Yes. And the second thing is he um, sends out the order to the mountain and, you know, parts of his army to basically burn the Riverlands. Like, just go out and pill. Like, he, it's kind of right. kind of crazy how sort of casual that he says it. It's very just like, hey, you know, as we head there, just kind of burn everything on the on the way. Yeah, like, like he's not looking to conquer and take over anything. He wants to destroy everything in his path. Because I mean, nothing, nothing leaves sends a strong message quite like, you know, villages burned to the ground and heads on spikes and <laughs> that kind of stuff. So he wants yeah. to leave devastation in his wake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. It's just one of those like I feel like. I don't know, I can't remember the scene exactly in my brain, but I feel like it wasn't like a big moment of like, all right, we're going to burn the Riverlands, announce it to everyone, oh, you know? It was just kind of, this is the order, and then he kind of went on. And in my brain, it's like, wow, such a casual thing to mm. say or an order to put out that's not a big, big, grand moment, and yet the um, the consequences of him saying that, I mean, it's just all over Clash of Kings, especially in Arya chapters, because she's going to be walking through you know, basically that area. And it's, yeah, the wake of his destruction. And it is just, it's brutal. It's really brutal. All right. So the little finger, again, I know that we've, we've kind of in talking about other characters have kind of wrapped up where he is, but basically the last we knew of little fingers, he betrayed Ned. Um, he bribed the city watch to support Cersei. And this leads to Ned's, um, um, arrest and eventual execution. Um, and also, again, I'm trying to remember if I know this because of a Game of Thrones or if we find it out early in this next book, but Peter also has Sansa's friend, Jane Poole. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, through, through talking about um, some of these other characters, we've, <laughs> you guys kind of already covered all that, but yes, he bribed the City Watch to Kind of go back on what him and Ned came up with, which was a pretty solid plan. So he sucks, right? Yeah, he's <laughs> kind of a he's kind of a dick. Friggin' little finger. Little dick move. <laughs> All right, and with John, so um, John went through some rough times in the book. He was super broody, and he just kept trying to run <laughs> away. Um, but after he finds out that um his dad's dead he didn't take it very well but thanks to his super cool friends and lord commander mormont and maester aemon and everybody being super supportive of him and really seeing his potential he decides to stay where he's at and kind of 
focus on his future with the Night's Watch. <laughs> um, they are marching north to find Benjen, dead or alive. And they are investigating rumors of the king beyond the wall who is supposedly uniting the wildlings. Also, they are pretty curious about just just the general goings on of North Wall because of um, the attack that of the whites that John and uh, Lord Commander Mormont encountered. So things are getting spooky up north. They're headed out. They're headed out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're heading out to basically uncharted territory i mean at least yes. in our at least in our minds because the only experience we have of going north of the wall is in the prologue and even that was i don't know not sort of vague i guess you could say like we don't have an idea right. of where they were you know we're not mm-hmm. up there all the time so it's just kind of like oh they're just kind of in the woods you know <laughs> right so it'll be interesting to explore a whole new area one thing i want to note i just I think it's just so, it's so interesting to do these kind of recaps because I kind of realize I'm like okay like when we were discussing characters like down in King's Landing area all of their stories are so interconnected that you kind of summarize everybody's mm. stories when right. you summarize one person's story almost like it touches on so many different people but then when you talk about like Danny and John it's just like oh that's like a whole separate world right basically. it really is it, yeah it's just it's kind of, and of course, you know, it has to be John and John and Danny, who are so separate from everyone else because you know they're the the star-crossed lovers. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> we'll <But> see. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. I'm, okay. Just real quick, do you think John and Danny will get together in the books? Just off, off the top of your head, yes or no? I feel like it's inevitable. I, I yeah, me too. Yeah, I probably. think I think Graham <laughs> may not has a weird thing about incest too, so he's gonna yeah. make it happen. Yeah, he's he's an interesting man. <laughs> yeah. But we are very grateful because without him, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. That's <laughs> right. Okay, awesome. Well, I think that was a really cool little recap we just did. So hopefully, if you are joining us for the first time to um, li- you know, to read along with us as we read a Clash of Kings, now you're kind of caught up. You know what's going on. You know where all the characters are at, and we can dive right into the prologue. Right. For a clash if it's been like fifteen years, that would be a good refresher to be like, wait, what was that person doing again? You oh, know where not. where is Tywin going and why? Yep. No, this is. I'm glad we did the recap. Yeah. No. Honestly, um, every whenever the new season would came out, you know, I I started watching it in season four. Whenever a new season would come, I'd be like, okay, hold on, <laughs> and I'd have to, you know. There's there's always someone on YouTube who's like, hey, this is what happened on the last episode of Game of Thrones. Here's mm-hmm. what right. everybody. It's just a nice little refresher. Okay, guys, are you guys are you guys ready to dive actually into the book and like? Yes. No. It's gonna be so good. Okay, <laughs> so we're jumping into the prologue of A Clash of Kings, and once again, um, this is going to be a pattern throughout the books that the prologue is going to follow a character that we normally don't follow. It's not anyone on the regular. And especially in this ch- in this chapter, we meet a ton of new characters. I mean, not just like you know Bob and and John. Or John's not a good example because we actually have a very important John. But you know, <laughs> it's not just you know you know servants or whatever. It's actually these big, epic, hard hitting characters, and it's going to be really good. Um, one thing of note: this chapter is very long. Um, yes. mm-hmm. So so I like I love reading. But I definitely do hit a point where I read like three pages, and then I'm like, hmm, "How many pages do I got?" And I keep and I flip, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> like it's still going. I'm yeah, like, that's right, why I was like, cool. maybe we should do the prologue in one episode. Yeah, no, it's fine. Actually, yeah. So, 
Yeah, one reason we decided just to do the prologue today is, one, yeah, it's a really long chapter. It's actually the second longest chapter in the book. In the whole oh. in the whole series, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, the lo- there's one that's longer, and I believe it's in Feast for Crows. And it's only, like, two extra pages, I think. But uh, you just, you know, just two extra pages, extra whatever. Pages. <laughs> um, but yeah, in this chapter where we follow um, Maester Cresson, who is the maester who's kind of assigned to Dragonstone, and basically whoever's ruling there, I'm, I, I'm assuming that he was sent there when Stannis took over Dragonstone. But, it does say that, yeah, I think. Well, he had been with the Baratheons since... He was originally oh, right, a Baratheon right. maester. Because he had been with them since yeah, before the Baratheon the boys. boys were born. Mm-hmm. Yes, most definitely. And and yeah, and just kind of like I was saying in the in the other books, it's kind of the same thing. We'll follow someone that we usually don't follow. And um, and just like... And if I recall correctly, the other pattern is whoever we're following the prologue dies at the end. <laughs> so, spo- so far. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Master, Master is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. Um, so just the general situation before we dive in, into this. Um, I d- also, I just want to note, uh, I'm a little rusty when it comes to discussing the books because we haven't done it in a while. <laughs> so it's kind of... We'll fight through. Like I did my note, like I wrote up my notes, and I was like, "Is this how I wrote my notes before?" I can't remember. Like, <laughs> I know. It's a whole new situation. Anyway, so the general situation is that Stannis has bas- was basically given Dragonstone as his kind of house seat um, during the um, during the rebellion. Um, once Robert kind of got everything established, once Dragonstone was captured. He gave Dragonstone to Stannis and said, "Hey, that's your that's your house seat. You can go live there, basically, and you're going to rule over that island." Of course, Stannis wasn't very happy about that, but we will get <laughs> into that later. So this whole time, Stannis has been on this island. He's been actually gathering his forces, as we'll learn in this chapter. And Maester Crescent is going to walk us through this chapter um, through his eyes. So it kind of starts out with um, Maester Crescent's out on his balcony, and he's kind of checking out Dragonstone, and he's looking at the comet, which, which by the way, so I was reading the description of the comet, and it is way bigger and way brighter than I thought. Like, I don't, I don't know what really? it is. Like, I imagine just this like little thing flying through the air, but the way they talk about it is like it's like half the sky. Like, it's big. Yeah. Or something. I was like, whoa, like, okay, this must be a, a way bigger thing than I thought. Like, why aren't more people talking about it, actually? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, I, I guess if everybody's talking about it. Um, but yeah, he's looking out at there, and he's kind of describing Dragonstone, and man, it is a, kind of a scary place, I'm not gonna lie. He's talking it's about ominous. all these... Yeah, super ominous. I mean, there's all these gargoyles, basically, all over the, um, all over the ramparts, and... He's kind of talking about how he's been there so long, how they kind of turn into his his friends almost. So basically, he's the Hunchback of Notre Dame, everybody. So basically, <laughs> if you just you know imagine that, you basically will have Maester Crescent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and it's kind of funny. He has this moment where um, he's looking up the common, he's thinking about it, and then he 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 kind of talk in his mind. He's thinking about talking about talking to the gargoyles and how they're his friends and everything. <laughs> And then, he, and then he starts like, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm thinking about talking to gargoyles like oh, I'm such a child. <laughs> like, like, I'm not crazy, I swear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what was funny, I was th- I was kind of looking into that. Such and, um, Yeah, right? 
yeah, it's such folly to talk to these gargoyles and think they could be alive and things like that. And reading that, I kind of realized a lot of maesters actually kind of have this view on anything that's kind of out of the out of the norm, like either isn't real or it's not something that's worth discussing. I was thinking about that too. I was like, the maesters and their training are actually pretty like narrow minded. <laughs> like, yeah, like, well, mm-hmm. well, especially like. Um, I think a good example is um, Maester Lewin, actually. Now, we love Maester Lewin, everybody. He's, like, one of the... I don't know. He's, just, he's like, a One perfect, of the greats. He's a perfect B character. I don't know. You just you just care yeah. about him big time. But he is very, like, the children of the forest. Yeah, they probably didn't even exist. Like, Ned even mentions, he's like, oh, yeah, if you talk to Maester Lewin, he probably, he, he'll tell you that the, the White Walkers never existed at all. Yeah. And what, Do you, you know, feel like maybe they... It's because they know, like, they're almost, it's almost like they're sworn to secrecy or something. Like, I feel like the Citadel has a lot of secrets. Like, these maesters know a lot of secrets that not other people know. So I almost feel like it's like this code. Like, we're not allowed to talk yeah. about anything. Like, don't, don't excite anybody. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think part of it could be kind of like a code or just the way they're trained. You know, they're so focused on, you know, to heal someone you do a you do b equals c you know mm-hmm. kind of more of a logical approach to everything you know they're educating everybody in the realm and you know they're kind of like you know the teachers you know teachers they send them out to um to royal families and they teach their children and things like that so i think they're just so that their whole lives are focused around that that it doesn't really they're like okay like i don't want to get into that magic thing right now you right, because I'm right. trying to teach you math here, kid. Come on. Right. <laughs> I think that's part of it, but but I, I will say this: I th- there's a lot of theories out there that the maesters are, are influencing a lot more things than we think. Um, there's actually a um, I, I I can't recall where it is in the book, but there's actually there's a character who they're discussing the maesters, and she's basically like, "Oh, the maesters, they are just the most despicable people on this planet." I mean. They have manipulated so much, and it's kind of like a conspiracy theory uh, mm. kind of vibe. Um, that basically, it's like, look, there's a lot of royal families who don't know how to read, they don't know how to write, um, but the maesters do. They're the ones who are reading these letters to these royal houses, and they're writing and dictating things to everybody. What say that they're not manipulating that? What if they receive a letter and they, you know, kind of like Ned, actually, now that we think about it. When Ned was, you know, writing out that letter that Robert was dictated to him, he totally altered it and said, okay, not Joffrey, the heir. And mm, basically, there's people right. who think that's what maesters are doing. And, Ooh, uh, I love a good theory. I know. And I'm just going to toss this out, and we're not going to discuss it, because I do want to research it more. Well, maybe we'll have an episode on it. But there is a very, in, very in-depth theory that the maesters are actually the reason why dragons are dead. <gasps> so, to, just to put that out there. Let you stew I am on it. Shocked. I know, right? <laughs> and 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 going off of that, um, if the Maesters are the ones who killed the dragons, are basically influenced it so that they would be dead. That kind of goes along with kind of maybe their code of like trying to stamp out magic and keep it gone. So, wow. Maybe they found it too volatile, it. so they're trying to get rid of it all, like the Doom and Valeria. <gasps> <laughs> See, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I have like thirty like little dots 
<laughs> that'll summarize what happens in this chapter. And we just did one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, Whoops. right. So um, we'll get, we'll, we'll get to discussing about the maesters killing the dragons. I'll do some research on it and maybe we'll find a good time that we can sit down yeah. a little bit, but anyways, so, um, he's, so yeah, Maester Crescent's chat or quote unquote, not chatting with the gargoyles, but feeling childish about thinking about doing it. Um, and then he talks about how the Citadel actually has actually sent out these white ravens to the kingdom. And that's kind of the sign that summer is kind of at an end now. I don't know how they know that. Probably just weather patterns and some smart things. <laughs> um, which, by the way, I believe white ravens are actually a real thing. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that either. I just figured yeah. it was a No, Game yeah. I, I, like, I remember Googling it. And seeing pictures of them, and I was just like, "Holy crap! Like that's pretty intense." But you know, that's kind of the the signal that summer is that it is coming to an end, which is kind of scary. He, I, th- I believe, he brews on the thought of like, "Wow! Like summer, we've had a ten year summer, and usually that follows with you know the same amount of a winter." So it's mm-hmm. kind of another ominous note to the reader, just like, "Hey, just so you know, we didn't forget about you know that winter is coming, everybody. Like it's on its way." um let's see so and then we kind of have a section where he just basically reflects on how old he is you know he's thinking about you know like walking around the the castle and he's just like oh my gosh there's so many steps and it's just so terrible <laughs> hold, on. hold on my wife my wife is giving me a stink eye <laughs> give me a good stink eye honey oh that's a strong stink eye <laughs> sorry i'm sorry that my nose hair is just singed because of the <laughs> Um, So after reflecting on how old he is, basically, um, we get a visit from Shireen and good old Patchface, guys. Don't you love Patchface? Isn't he just the best? He's something. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Here, here, Brooke, why don't you you tell us about Patchface real quick? (laughs) So Patchface is basically Dragonstone's fool. Um, Lord Stephen Baratheon found him in, um, where did he say he found him? I can't remember the exact location. I know it was on the other side of the Narrow Sea, though. Yes, yes. So he basically found him, wrote home that they bought his freedom, and they're hoping he'll come home with him. And he's the most wittiest fool out there. He can sing lovely in four languages. And then unfortunately on the on the journey back, as they were coming into um basically Dragonstone's harbor, a storm came up and it crashed the ship that Lord Stephen Baratheon, Lady Baratheon, his men, and Patchface were on. Um, that's where Lord Stephen Baratheon and Lady Baratheon meant their end. And Patchface is like one of the only survivors who washed up ashore except he washed up ashore like broken physically and mentally he could no longer base hardly even put together a sentence let alone a witty one um but you can always tell he's the fool because he has i believe it was said red and green patches tattooed on his face because where he came from they tattoo their slaves so you know what job they have um so yeah that was patch face and he sings a bunch of crazy songs and he wears like a um, a makeshift crown with some Baratheon stag antlers with cowbells attached. And he just jingles around singing songs that scare the crap out of Shireen. So. <laughs> <laughs> but she does like him. But she does. No, she loves Patches. She's his fool. Or he's Pretty her much. fool. Excuse me. 
No, that, that was an awesome summary of who Patchface is. He's kind of, like, he's, it's kind of tough. Like, you read him and you're like, how is this guy still around? And, <laughs> like, how do people find him funny? Because he's just kind of annoying, to be honest. And yeah. <laughs> he's kind of creepy. I mean, especially, like, I mean, if you, like, have you ever seen fan art of him? Yeah. No. Oh, it's terrifying. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm imagine having right a face tattooed, on a, tattooed motley like that. It's kind of, it's kind of scary, I'll be honest. Um, here, Madison, why don't you give us like, give us like a quick rundown on who Shireen is. So Shireen is the daughter of Stannis and gosh, his wife's name is escaping me right now. Um, uh, hold on. Is it Salise? Salise, believe- that's right. Yeah. Yes. I believe I forgot that. Anyway, <laughs> and she is not described as being a pretty little girl. She has the, you know, the, the big ears of her mom and the square jaw of her dad. So unfortunately... Just even without her affliction, she was not necessarily a cutie. But then when she was a baby, she got, um, what is wrong with my mind today? She got grayscale. (laughs) (laughs) You got this, Madison. (laughs) I got this, okay, you guys? Um, She got grayscale when she was a baby. But Stannis, I mean, they called in every maester from every corner of the world and healers and all kinds of people even might be able to help and they don't really give a lot of details right now about how she was cured who found the you know who ended up being the one to help her but they were able to stop the progression of um grayscale which i think is pretty interesting and um she was she was saved and so she does have scarring she has the grayscale scarring still and so not only is she just because of her genes, a little bit unfortunate looking, <laughs> but she also has these dragon scale or grayscale um, scars. And but she is a total sweetie. She seems to, be, as far as we know in the prologue, she seems to be um, well spoken and maybe a little shy, but still very sweet. And she like loves her maester, and she loves to spend time with him. And he had uh, agreed to show her the white ravens, so that's what her and Patchface are doing there. There you go. Um, also, just um, Shireen's kind of situation is just a little sad too. I mean, she's basically on this super broody island on a in a castle that probably terrifies her at some points. I'm sure. Um, and then um, it actually talks about her. Um, she's been basically cursed with bad dreams almost her whole life mm. you know it, it's so it's what so a tough. scary place to have nightmares exactly you like I wake mean, up into another one <laughs> pretty much i mean it's it's just really rough also i just want to note i think the actress who played her did a, an amazing job i agree oh, totally even though she was cute so <laughs> yeah i know right that was definitely a uh well let's make her cute anyways <laughs> yeah she has, a, she has a hard enough i mean she wasn't like overly adorable but she was a sweet little girl (laughs) most definitely um so i had a couple notes actually in this section so shireen so they talked about shireen being kind of plagued with bad dreams and she actually talks to maester crescent about one she's had recently um she talks about um she's had dreams of dragons when she asks like oh does that mean they're back which is you know you know, of course, Mr. Chris is like, no, that's crazy. And we as the reader were like, yes! Yes! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's a big deal. <sighs> Who knows? That may, may, maybe maybe Shireen's got a little prof- prophecy thing in her blood or something. And um, so she has the dream about the dragon, and then she actually asks um, Mr. Crescent about winter. 
you know, about the White Raven, what does that mean? And I thought there was just a kind of a cool little fire and ice, you know, duology thing going on right there. You know, just to throw in a title drop of the series. <laughs> um, another note I noticed. So, so Shireen has this interesting relationship with Patches. You know, she has a nickname for him. She's probably one of the only people who laughs at his jokes. And I just, I saw a kind of a cool parallel there between Shireen and Patches and Bran and Hodor. It's two young kids who have befriended older people who, you know, have a mental disability, basically. And I just thought that was kind of like a, huh, like... I love that. I never picked that up. Well, I think it's... I think I've discussed this before. There's so... Like, oh, no, Madison, you brought this up when you talked about Tyrion and and John and Danny, and you basically mm-hmm. listed out the... Do you remember that list at all? Just off the top of your head. About how, their similarities? Yeah, just their similarities. I, 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 remember, I remember making the list. I don't really remember all the points I put on it. Yeah, the, the but... one I remembered is, like, all three of them basically were able to, quote-unquote, like, not control, but, like, influence a, a sort of a wild... Uh, culture of people you know you got Tyrion with the mountain clans John with the wildlings and Danny with the Dothraki um all of their mothers died at birth you know Mm -hmm. things like that and I feel like I do remember that yeah yeah I feel like this that was on my is Tyrion a Targaryen list yeah yeah that was it man we need we need to to do something like that again that was really fun yeah that was fun because I I started out like why how did I get stuck with this crap (laughs) (laughs) I end up convincing myself. I'm like, you guys just wait and watch. It'll come through. <laughs> I'm going to blow mind. <laughs> but uh, I, I, think, I think this is just another example of Grimm doing... It just blows my mind that he can do this. He can be like, okay, I, I want to have a little person, you know, a young child befriend an adult who has a mental disability. And he's like, well, why don't I do it twice? And like, if you write it out like that, it just sounds like lazy writing. But to me, it just blows my mind that he could take the same idea twice and make them both so unique and so different and so interesting. It's just yeah. so cool to me. It's like it's like so it's simplified, like... but so much broader. I don't know. It's He's just a good writer, okay? I don't care yeah. if other people so are like, good oh, writer. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, the other thing I wanted to note was um, Patches, part of his outfit is he's wearing this bucket hat with antlers on them with bells attached to them, which sounds incredibly annoying. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't, I, I could not stand that at all, but I just found it interesting that he had antlers on his head. I feel like that would be, that's kind of like a mockery of the Baratheon house. You know what I mean? Mm. To stick something that's so attached to this, to their sigil on a fool's head. And maybe that's kind hey of, guys, a, oh, I'm, I'll be right back. Okay. 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 Um, I feel like that's just maybe maybe a small hint towards the fact that Stannis is kind of broken away from the Baratheon family, you know. Oh, good point. Like, we'll get into it later, but, you know, he's been really slighted by Robert throughout his whole life, basically, mm-hmm. which yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. I have opinions <laughs> <laughs> on it. I have but, opinions, he says. Yes, I do have opinions. But anyways, <laughs> I just I just found that kind of an interesting little tidbit. You know, I feel like it's just a small way to show us that, you know, Stannis doesn't really relate to the Baratheon family at this point in his life. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. I was just like, oh, you know, antlers, there's antlers everywhere in there probably because he's a Baratheon. But no, that's actually a really good point. Um, it, it and it actually and actually that same thought will pop up later in Sansa's chapter. I'll share it when we get there. Um, uh, she gets to see see a white raven, and she's like mind blown that this thing can talk. You know, I think she ca- I think it calls her lady a couple times. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see. I've I've met one bird that could talk, and it was just really loud. But it is still pretty impressive. <laughs> I I honestly I've seen them on TV, but I've never met one. But I do feel like I mean that's kind of cool. Like. Eh. Yeah, right? Um, and then um, then it moves into kind of the backstory on Patches. Now, um, you chatted, you, you kind of gave us a really good summary about how Patchface came, you know. Oh, oh, he came from Volantis. I have it here in my notes. Ah, oh, there we go. <laughs> and just another note I had, the reason that Stefan Baratheon actually went to Volantis was to find someone for Rhaegar to marry. Now, you know, basically anytime we say Rhaegar's name, we just, you know, that's something important to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I view it is, you know, he went to Volantis, which is, you know, kind of in the area of Valeria where before it got blown up. And I, I don't know, I, I don't have a good answer to this, but I found it interesting that he that he sent him all the way across the Narrow Sea to try and find him a wife. You know, you think you think he'd want to use that as kind of a some sort of political tool, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it was one of those things where he. You know, he had a lot of advisors and people that, you know, Ares at the time trusted. So maybe he was just like, you go to this corner of the earth, you go to this corner of the earth, you go to this corner of the earth, and we'll find yeah. him a wife somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, we'll find him somebody worthy. Yeah. I mean, it could be possibly he's just trying to make ties with people on the other side of the Narrow Sea. Maybe he's just trying to broaden out, possibly. I don't know if he was that smart, but... I feel like Volantis was filled with like warrior people too. So maybe he, because they didn't have, you know, a fit enough Targaryen to marry Rhaegar, maybe they wanted to find that strength somewhere else. You know what I mean? I like that. Yeah. None of your cousins are like that awesome. So we're going to find someone else for you, Rhaegar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't don't have a sister, I guess, to marry. (laughs) (laughs) Darn. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But um, I did kind of want to chat about Patchface just a little bit. So one of the, one another thing that he does pretty frequently is he'll sing songs. Um, like one, for example, um, one is um, the shadows come to dance, my lord, dance, my lord, dance, my lord, and you mm-hmm. know a couple different things out there. And there's a ton of ton of discussion on the things that he says. Um, I did, so I did do a little research um, for the show and you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, second let me think let me get to it real quick um a lot of believe a lot of people believe that what he is saying during these songs is actually prophecy and there's actually a couple a couple moments that it matches up pretty well to events that'll happen later in the books let me um let me pull up an image real quick there we go you ready you ready for this yes (laughs) so the first one it, it, it the first one's kind of just a memory that he has and it's actually kind of creepy so there's a moment later on in this chapter where he's um, at the feast and he gets and Maester Crescent gets knocked down and he falls into Patchface and Patchface falls as well. And he, then he says, um, um, under the sea, you fall up. I know, I know. Oh, ho, ho, which is super annoying. But, <laughs> but so this isn't a prophecy, but just just to note that basically what he's singing about is all the bodies floating up 
from the water. Probably, probably oh. from his experience in when his when the ship got crashed, he saw all these people in the water and they were floating up to the surface. So that's just kind of creepy. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, the other there, there's three other prophecies that of of things he he sings about that I want to share. One of them is he says, uh, "Under the sea, smoke rises and bubbles, and flames burn green and blue and black." This could relate to um, a prophecy of the Battle of the Blackwater. Um, you have the flames that burn green. That's the wildfire that's burning in Blackwater. Um, you have the the blue and black of basically the ocean that's there. You know, the color of the ocean being blue mm-hmm. and it's fought at night. Uh, so, some of it's kind of vague, but I think it makes just enough connections sometimes that you're like, okay, that could be something. I'm not going to, you know, bet money on it, but it could be something. <laughs> right. Well, and it just seems like everything has been put into these books for a reason. So why do we have a whole story and a whole st- backstory on and all of these songs repeatedly sung by this one character. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like there has to be something to it. Yeah, right? Yeah, I I would say that's... I, I feel like I've been spoiled by Grimm sometimes because when I read it, when I read this story, I kind of have that same reaction you have. It's like, okay, everything he's put in here, he put in for a reason, I feel. Like, I feel like there's not it, there's not really any filler. Right. And, and even if it is filler, or feels like filler, when you really slow down and read it, you're like, oh my gosh, that's not filler. Like, that's, right. that means something. Either it's showing off a character's, um, you know, showing off a character's personality or their progression or something like that. Or just to give us, you know, a sense of what's happening in Westeros. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another, uh, here, I'm just going to share one more real quick another thing another one he says that he says pretty often in this chapter he says the shadows come to dance my lord the shadows come to stay my lord so i feel like there's actually three different interpretations of this i feel um one we just we just saw in game of thrones a moment where there were shadows dancing and that's when mary mazdor was in the tent you know performing oh yes so it could relate to that it could relate to the shadow assassin that is sent after to kill renly um and then in particular, the part where he says the shadows come to stay, um, I would say, so the White Walkers actually are quite frequently mentioned, described as shadows. Even back in the prologue, it talks about how, Ooh. you know, Waymar Royce, he saw a white shadow, you know, when he was out there and then he confronted them. <gasps> Ooh, so, I like that last one. <laughs> I know, right? So, so, God, this... The, uh, we could do like a 40 minute, I could talk about that <laughs> for like 40 minutes, but so I'm just going to give you kind of the quick and dirty. The The thought process is this, is that when Patchface was um, crashed into, you know, his ship broken up and he fell down to the sea, the theory is that he met basically the drowned god. And that's a whole other can of worms that I don't really want to get into because literally we're barely into this chapter and we still have so much more to talk about. But basically, he met the drowned god, who is a god that is worshipped by the iron, by the iron, the ironborn. And when he met, and when he met him, basically the the drowned god turned turned him into sort of his voice, his prophet on on the earth, in a sense. Oh, and then, how interesting! I know, right? <laughs> and uh basically i mean i mean heck he was gone for three days after the crash and then he popped up and um life was brought back into him once he spit out the water 
that relates. <laughs> God, there's so many characters, but this relates to the Ironborn, <laughs> who right. who go through basically a ritual ceremony where they drown themselves, and then they're recovered when they spit spit out the water, and that's what re you know makes them reborn, which relates to the way they talk. The what you know what they say that you know um what, what do they say? What's the thing they say? Um oh um. Something what is about, dead may never die. Yeah, yeah. What is dead may never die goes to that. You know, rise, rise again, more powerful and stronger. Because basically, the thought process is you've already died once. You know, you're mm-hmm. not gonna die. You know, you can't die twice. I feel like that's right. kind of the the mindset that they have. So, Patrice is recovered from the ocean, and I feel like. I feel like what grit. You know, if if we follow this train of thought and we believe that. And we believe that Patchface is sort of, you know, quote, a prophet from the drowned god. I think it's a really interesting view on it that being a prophet of a god isn't like this glorious thing. It's not it's not Melisandre, basically. Melisandre is super elegant. Melisandre is beautiful and gorgeous, and she's very big. You know what I'm you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying, Brooke? Right. Oh and, yeah, yeah. She like she commands attention. You know, like, she's in a room with supposedly, you know, King Stannis Baratheon, and who who is everybody paying attention to? They're paying attention to Melisandre. Exactly. And, like, that's what, um, I don't know, like I was saying, you know, that that's not what being a prophet for a god is. What The, the way they're looking at it, the, the way that I feel like they're looking at Patch, that we're looking at Patchface right now is being a prophet of a god is basically having these voices flying through your head, these prophecies coming at you so fast that you can't even get it out clearly. And who knows, maybe Patchface sort of, you know, his, his coping mechanism is that he sings out these prophecies. Right. Because, you know, probably due to the fact that he was a full back in Volantis and now he's here, but that's just the way that he communicates. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of terrifying if you think of it that way. So it is. Yeah, actually. Like... <laughs> so, I know it's it's kind of crazy. So um so like I said, I don't know if that's ex- I don't know if that's all true or whatever, but that that's kind of kind of the gist of what's on the discussion forums talking about Patch Patchface and him being sort of this prophetic character. So that's so De- interesting. That's definitely something we'll have to go back to when we do like a theories episode or something. Right. I'm back. Madison. Yay! Is back. Yay! Sorry, we had <laughs> everything's okay. My husband just got home from work and. He just had to talk to me about something, but everything's fine. I'm back. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I'll, I'll discuss this out, but you did miss it. We we chatted about Patchface and him being a prophet. I <laughs> came in um, on the tail end of that, and you guys, this that was interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to our, <laughs> our recording. So, uh, so have you ever heard heard anything about that, Madison? I was just curious. I haven't. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty cool. So, um. So just for anyone listening and for you guys too, if you look up, there's a YouTube channel called Alt Shift X. And I mean, they're like kind of what I would aspire to as a, as a YouTube create mm-hmm. a content creator. They are just incredible and they have some great um, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire theor- theories out there. So if you ever, if you ever want to look in that, just type in Alt Shift X patch face on YouTube and that like I explained it and I feel like I did pretty decent, but compared to them, like I was trash. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna check it out. That sounds cool. Okay, let's see. Um da, 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 da. 
Let me hold on. I was I kind of went on a rant. Now I need to get back to where I was. Okay. <laughs> so after so getting back to where we were, after Shireen and Patchface, they kind of see the White Raven and they're just kind of awed by it. Um, one of the other maesters, who I can't remember his name at this point. Do you guys remember what his name Pylos. is? Pylos. So Maester Pylos comes in, and he's basically Maester Crescent's replacement. Maester Crescent's getting pretty dang old, Um, (laughs) and they're you know he's kind of he's kind of hit a point where you know his body just isn't what it used to be, and he he can barely make it across the the castle to make it to Medians right now. So basically, they sent Pylos to hey, just you know, wait for him to die, help him out. (laughs) <laughs> and then you're going to take over and you'll be, you know, a counselor to Stannis Baratheon. But he comes in and basically informs him, like, hey, just so you know, Davos Seaworth just got back from his little mission to visit with all the surrounding lords and ladies, and they had a meeting last night with Stannis. And Maester Crescent's kind of like, oh, why didn't they call me? Like, what the heck? They should have woke me up. And so he gets up and they start heading across across the um, the castle. And then um, we kind of get kind of a vibe of how Dragonstone is laid out. Um, it's pretty pretty dreary. Like, I don't know, just... And sharp-sounding. Like... like, everything sounds pointy and uncomfortable. <laughs> that is such a good way to put it, Brooke. I love that. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I have to yeah. say, I, I know that you had at one point started reading um, The Blade Itself. And... I don't know if you got to the part where Glockta is walking up the stairs and he talks mm. about how much he hates stairs and the man who invented stairs, like he curses him. <laughs> I, I I just thought about that the whole time I was reading this, like how painful it is for him to go up the stairs and how he has to have somebody <laughs> help him. I'm like, that reminds me of that chapter. It was a pretty funny chapter where he's just talking about how he just curses stairs. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually did get to that point. I'm actually a good little bit into Blade itself. It's going along really well. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's, but yeah, so he's he's traveling across there. Maester Pylos is kind of trying to help him out. And then uh, Maester Crescent, actually, we, we actually get to meet Davos for the first time, which is, which is really cool. So if I'm recalling correctly, in terms of the meta of the book and how it was written... Grimm basically was trying to find a way to to get us into Stannis, Stannis's kind of circle, but he didn't want to make Stannis a POV character, for for whatever reason. I don't know exactly why. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's such a complicated character that being in his head might <laughs> right. be a little too much. It's kind of like um, or there's not like, enough in there. <laughs> possibly. I mean, I think it kind of might have a sort of a vibe as to why we don't have Littlefinger or Rob as our as our as a POV character. It might maybe reveal and too Cersei. much. Yeah. Well, I guess you she know, later. Yes, yeah, yeah, Cersei does end up being a POV, POV character, which by which just a side note, when I was reading the books for the first time and I saw Cersei Cersei and and Jamie too when they became POV characters, I was like, "Whoa, that's bold." Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, once you once you dive, not only diving into such a, an amazing character such as Jamie and Cersei, you get into their heads, which is a whole other world, basically, but mm-hmm. also to do it in the middle of the story. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't get we don't get a Jamie POV until a, a Storm of Swords. And to, you know, like, all right, we're going to Jamie. It's like, whoa. Yeah. And the main reason is that you just need a POV for every location. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just run out of options. That makes sense. 
And so you have to kind of be like, well, I kind of wanted to stay out of this character's head because they are so, you know, you don't want to give away all the secrets, but I need a POV for that location. So it's going mm-hmm. to be this person. Yeah. So, so basically Grimm basically created the character of Davos to be the POV for Stannis. Right. And I feel like, yeah. I, I don't know. I can almost imagine Grimm being like, Hey, I need a character. Okay. I'll make this guy named Davos. And I don't know if he expected much out of Davos, but to be kind of a fly on the wall. But I feel like Davos turned into one of the best characters in this whole story. He's a fan story. favorite for sure. Kind of mm. like a serial for all. There's a lot yeah. of them in here. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I, I mean, I think what's ama- cool about Davos is, I mean, he's not a highborn. I think is actually a pretty big deal. He's the probably the only, I believe he's the only POV character we get who isn't a highborn person. And we kind of get that view of sort of the everyday man sort mm. of feel. You know what I mean? I feel like he's he went from the most... criminal to yeah. Westeros yeah, he's like the... most wanted to yeah. knighted. He's yeah, like kinda... the most down-to-earth person, too. Like, who sits there and accepts that kind of punishment? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, here, I'm going to give you something very nice. You're going to be a knight, and I'm going to give you all these lands, but you can't have these fingers. Yeah. Here, um, here, here uh, Brooke. Why don't you why don't you give us a little background on Davos? Just kind of you know how he became to be with Stannis and that whole thing. Okay, so um, as you said, um, Davos was a common man, and he became one one of, if not the greatest smuggler, um, out there. He smuggler. was smuggler. Yeah, <laughs> he, <laughs> he he um he was great. He he helped end or well he helped fortify um the Baratheon Stannis at Dragonstone during the siege when um or, or, the, no, it was that sorry just a correction so it was actually Storm's End. Oh he excuse was, me, Storm's End. Yeah, yes. he was sieged up at Storm's End. That's right. That's right. He was given Dragonstone afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um. So when they were they were sieged at Storm's End, um they were there for like a year. They had eaten the horses. The dogs and cats were gone, and Davos was able to get a ship, a black ship with black oars and black sails under the cover of night to get provisions um, to Stannis and the rest of the men so that they could keep going with the siege until Ned was able to get there and help them out. Um, so because of that, uh, Stannis knighted Sir Davos and made him Sir Davos, and he took the name Seaworth as his new name. And his um, sigil is, I believe, isn't it a ship? Yes, yeah. I think a black it's a ship, ship with an onion on the mast, field. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a black ship on a. I think it's a black ship on a black field, I believe, and then a white onion on the. I think it's a gray on field. the sail, which is super cool. <laughs> I think that's a great sigil, right? And then, um, because Stannis is like, there, Stannis is black and white through and through. Um, because Sir Davos was a smuggler, Stannis said that to pay for all of his years of smuggling, he needed to take all of the fingers to the last joint except for his thumb on one hand. And now, as a reminder where he came from, um, Davos carries those fingers in a bag around his neck. <laughs> but he's kind of like Stannis's one of Stannis's right hand hand man uh men, even though he, Stannis doesn't necessarily listen to him all the time. Right. 
Well, yeah, yeah, and, and Davos <laughs> sort of has this vibe with him that he he can kind of say stuff that Stannis that not many people can. There's lots of times Stannis is like, you know what, Davos, give me your opinion, just give it to me straight. I know you won't lie to me. Um, <laughs> what a great backstory for a character, by the way. I yes, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder, just like, do you think that he had any, um, any allegiance or any ties to the Baratheon house? Or do you think that as a smuggler, it was just a challenge for him? Like, he's I, like, I don't really have any, any <laughs> cards in this game either way. I don't really care which, you know, which of these rich assholes wins or whatever. But yeah. I see a challenge. Like, that's how, that's how I like <laughs> to see it. What do you think? I, I, I think, I, I would say he has to have some tie to either Storm's End, maybe I, I don't know, maybe his family lived there at one point, and he and that's why he smuggled it in. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't know. As far as we know, like he didn't even have like a, a house name before this whole thing, because I believe because I believe it mentions that after he delivered the onions and he was knighted, he took the name of Seaworth. Mm-hmm. So he was just Davos. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> I Davos. I feel like that somebody just paid him nice, and he's like, okay, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> it is is a possibility i don't know like because in my brain i feel like to view it as you know oh it's a challenge i'm gonna help these guys out i feel like you have to have some kind of ambition to do that yeah i feel like davos just isn't not not in a negative way he wouldn't want to get involved with like yeah right like politics isn't his thing like me exactly i don't know (laughs) he's just he doesn't come off as an ambitious person in terms of i want power or i want to increase my standing somehow thank you madison she just posted up the image of the of his sigil of davos's sigil and it's just as amazing as i thought it was i'm like well i need a t-shirt of that now (laughs) that would be cool just like a Man, I'd wear a polo with that in the corner there. That'd be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just don't really see him as kind of like an ambitious person. I don't know. Maybe he just did it out of the kind of his heart, or I, I don't. The way I like to, the way I would see it is that he has some connection to people, the people of Storm's End somehow. There we go. I like that. Kind of like being the hero. Exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, kind of like you mentioned, uh, Stannis cut off. You know the the top part of one of his uh, one of his hands, and I think this kind of shows us sort of what do I say? Kind of the rules that Stannis lives lives by. A lot of people mark Stannis as kind of an honorable person, and it's sort of like it's kind of like honorable justice. Like it's sort of kind of a combo of it. I th- I think when you when you think of an honorable person, we think of Ned, who mm-hmm. I, I would kind of label him as like an honorable loving person or something like he does yeah i think there's a difference between honor and justice right yeah i see see stannis as being just because sometimes just can be very um abrasive right Mm -hmm. and i don't feel like ned was he ned could be you know well i don't as much as i don't want to do this i have to do the right thing but he would have some feelings about it where i don't feel like Stannis would. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah. Honorable is kind of like you do the right thing because of how you feel about it. And justice, you do you do that because, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. Yeah. Exactly. And, it, you know, I mean, just this image of, you know, Stannis, he, he knights Davos with one hand and he takes off, you know, fingers with the other. It's just. Right. Right. I think that's just a, like really a cool. Scale. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of a cool little window into who Stannis is right there. Agreed. Um, 
I think it's also cool that um, since we get to meet Davos here, um, we get kind of the introduction to Davos. We kind of get all of the backstory, who he is, kind of almost in a sense out of the way. Because then when we get to see Davos in his first chapter and we're in his POV, we don't really have to go over all of that. Right. You know, we could just kind of jump right in. I think it's just kind of a cool tool or, you know, a thing that Grimm did to kind of move the story along just a little quicker. Smart, and a little smart, smart. Tighter. Right? He's got the brains. That's why I don't write. And that's why he does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just here to read the stories and talk yeah. about them. <laughs> Pretty much. So um, Davos just, like I mentioned, Davos just got back from a mission of he was um, sent out to a lot of the local uh, families in the area of Dragonstone to basically recruit them to Stannis's cause. Because Stannis is basically, you know, he he's the rightful heir to the throne. He was supposed to receive it after Robert passed away. Um, because, you know, of course, in Stannis's view... Joffrey and Tommen and Marcella, they're all bastard children. They're not, you know, they don't have any right to take mm-hmm. the throne. And so, passing over them. Did ever get a copy of that out to him? Yes, yeah, yeah. So the okay. way it worked, yeah, what happened was basically Ned, because yeah, Ned wrote out a letter, gave it to a guy and said, get this to stand yeah, okay. right now. And it kind of informed him of the whole thing. But the thing is, um, Stannis and John Aaron were pretty tight. And right, they actually, yeah, they, they kind of figured this whole thing out and Ned kind of confirmed it, basically, right. I would say. Or I don't know if he confirmed it, but he just another He's person. He's been working on a plan it. for a while now. Exactly. Um, let's see, what was I going to say? But yeah, so Davos was sent out to all these places to kind of recruit people. And he got a lot of no's. He got a lot of lying. He got a lot of, oh, you know, you know, just send us an email like when the ships are going to send and then we'll come. <laughs> You know, just you know, send us send us a text or something. <laughs> um, uh, one thing I do one thing I do want to note is uh, Davos actually mentions Beric Dondarrion in this list of mm-hmm. people he was looking at, and I think it's so interesting. Like he mentions Beric Dondarrion, and he's like, "Yeah, he's probably dead," or you know, we don't know what's going on with him. And I feel like Beric Dondarrion's just kind of the slow roll mystery that Grimm's put in there, you know. <laughs> throughout this book where it's going to mention them, we'll eventually meet him. But there's a lot of talk of like, oh yeah, we ran into Darian and his, it's his just like name and... dropping him. Yeah. Right. I think, you know, it's just kind of a web of connections that he, that Grimm does a lot, but it's just kind of this, like, you know, he mentions he's dead and then we're going to meet him later on. It's like, wait a minute. I thought everyone thought this guy was dead. And then we're going to learn, you know, of course the whole resurrection thing and all that good stuff. Um, let's see. And then, uh, and then they actually start chatting about Renly and kind of what he's up to. And uh, Renly has basically crowned himself king. He went down to High Garden with um, Loras Tyrell. He has a very large army. High Garden is a very powerful house in Westeros, and he's crowned himself king. And then we get a kind of a great little quote. Because they're talking about the Rainbow Guard, they're talking about <laughs> his establishment, and um, it's something along the lines of. Uh, but yeah, Maester Crescent kind of grew up with the Baratheons, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, Renly was always like that. You know, look at me, I'm a, I'm the king. Look at me, I'm I'm you know a dragon. Look how awesome I am." And yeah, that basically tells you what Renly, who Renly is. You yep. know, he's a yep. lot of show, not a lot of substance. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this this is just a note from me, by the way. 
so I read that quote that Maester Creston said, and I wrote down a note saying, like, oh my gosh, Renly is so flattery, he's so vain, and, you know, I wrote it down. And then I read the next paragraph, which basically explained, you know, basically <laughs> said that, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I should have just read one more paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, and then basically Davos and Crescent basically agree that like, yeah, Santa shouldn't be attacking King's Landing. Like his army is just too small. I, th- I think, I think they mentioned he's only got about 3000 men right now, like on Dragonstone. And it's like, that's not, like, that sounds like a lot of people, but it's actually not. Yeah, not of, really. In terms of trying to invade a, invade a whole city. Um, Let's see. So after they kind of agree that they shouldn't do that, Maester Crescent heads in. And so, okay, if you could have something out of Westeros and in these stories, like an item or something from the books, which item would you guys want? Oh, gosh, I'm going to think about that. Just, re- like, just real quick, like what's like something you're thing. like, oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Because because we're about nice. to meet because we're about to meet the thing that I want. <laughs> I would yeah I think I ice is the first thing that came to mind for me too. That would be pretty badass. So we go in and we get to see the painted table. Yeah, and this, this is pretty cool. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah you're so, right. That's that's epic. <laughs> so basically, what the the painted table was something that was commissioned out by um, that's kind of a modern tech terminology it was probably just ordered but, um, <laughs> but it, um i believe it was Rhaegar. no 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 not Rhaegar. it was um aegon the conqueror aegon the conqueror yeah he basically oh, commissioned this table that, to be built that is crazy big and very detailed and it's basically in the shape of westeros and it's basically a table map like like i'm telling you you set up miniatures and you have a whole dungeons and dragons like fight <laughs> thing going on here it's very impressive and i was thinking it was probably as far as map making goes probably the most accurate map of westeros at the time because the targaryens would be able to have an aerial view of the coastlines damn oh true yeah Madison, how about that that is man i'm mad that i didn't <laughs> think of that that is very cool. <laughs> well, I, I got thinking, I'm like, how do they know? And I was like, well, duh, because they could fly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I love that. That is so cool. But yeah, so he had this whole table built, and then there's a seat that is raised up so that you can sit and you can look down on the whole thing, and it's and it's positioned in the position where Dragonstone is. So that's that way so you, cool. you can sit up there, you can kind of see... From where you're standing, this is what Westeros looks like. And I don't know. It's just the coolest thing in my whole, mm-hmm. out of everything. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, so we get introduced to the painted table. And then we get to meet the man, Stannis Baratheon. Um, do you guys like Stannis, by the no, way? No, you're not. <laughs> okay. You, you but it's not just you. Stan. The man, as you call him, Stannis the man, whatever. <laughs> he has a massive following of fans. He really oh, does. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm telling uh, you. I, yeah. Okay, yeah, so I wasn't going to lie. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to read a little okay. bit of Stannis. Maybe I'll see what everybody is raving about. Because obviously on the show, we all know, even the actor you know, has said that it did not go the way it was supposed to. And 
I was like, okay, I'm going to get to see why everybody likes this. And I'm like, I'm just really frustrated with this man right now. Like, I just, I'm not seeing it. They definitely show you from the get-go. I'm sure we're going to get to these points that, like, he has a reason for being super annoyed with his position, his life, (laughs) how things have turned out. Like, he was done wrong so many times by his asshole brother like i get it but and i do believe that he is the rightful king like when it just comes to basic politics like Mm -hmm. he is the rightful king but like maybe it's just because even though he was despicable bobby was so damn likable and then you just see this guy like how did they come from the same womb like he's so unlikable well well it's yeah we'll kind of get into it but yeah so I just want to state, like, if you go to, like, a Song of Ice Fire convention, which who knows if we ever have one again because of this whole pandemic thing. <laughs> but um, if you just walked in there and said, yeah, Stannis is not the rightful king. He's a terrible written character. You would not walk out of there alive. <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, yeah, I, mean, I would never I, dare to do such a thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, a Stannis fanboy. I'm probably going to turn into one by the time we're done reading these books because... <laughs> Because <laughs> it's kind of like the same with Sansa. I definitely have some grievances with Sophie Turner, but the character of Sansa is a great character, and I'm realizing how amazing she is by reading these books. So I'm I got a feeling Sansa is gonna be one of my favorites by the end of the end of this series. Um, I hope to join you because <laughs> you me too. All of my recollection, I'm just like, dude, you're not doing it for me. Well, and, well, and you guys know that I love. A character who, by all accounts, is bad, but he's just written so well that you end up loving him. Like, cough, cough, yeah. cough, cough. <laughs> like, why do I like him? Why? Why? Right. Why? why? <laughs> I just do. So I'm like, why can't that be? Why can't it be that way for Stannis? I don't know. I'm hoping by the end I'm going to be like hardcore Stannis fan. So. Well, well, I mean, it's totally understandable why you guys feel that way because when we meet Stannis, I mean, he's stern. He's very intense. And honestly, I think we all have a person out there in our lives who has a list of grievances that they list off to you every time you talk to them about how miserable their life is. And so it's, true. I mean, I, I've, I've totally met people like that where it's just like, and you're oh like, gosh. you're right, but it's like, okay, I get that. It's like, I get <laughs> it, but can you just shut up and move on? Yeah. <laughs> but you're not uh, wrong but yeah, you're exactly. miserable and and that's basically what stannis does throughout this whole section when we first meet him i mean kind of the 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 really big one the, kind of the, the there's two really big moments i would say that sort of show us how stannis was has been slighted in his whole life one when the rebellion after the rebellion and they were divvying out things he wasn't given um the seat of storm's end yeah, like, was why given... did Robert think he wouldn't want that? <laughs> yeah, well, well I, the, honestly, I think part of it is... Actually, okay, honestly, I have kind of moments like this with my customers sometimes. When when I when I have a customer, when I detail in their car, and they come out, and they're just... They're picky, they're rude, they're, they, they whine about the pricing... It's or, or like, you know, they want me to do something, and, it's, and they're just kind of like, you know, snotty about it or whatever... In my brain, I'm thinking like, okay, well, I don't like you, so the last thing I want to do is help you or or mm-hmm. do this extra thing for you. It's really frustrating. But like, if I really sat down and thought about it, it's like, okay, well, I should do it because they're my customer and I should take care of them. But you're such an asshole that I don't want to do it. 
Right. As, <laughs> as opposed to a customer, I, customer I get when I drive up there, they like I I have a customer like this. I drive up and they have a uh, they have a handmade avocado sandwich BLT for me with like three sodas <laughs> and a and a big bag of chips and you know all this stuff and they all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, car's right there, keys there, have some lunch while you're chilling. I got to go do some errands. Have a great day." And they head out. I I will bend over backwards to give them right. anything they need. I will do stuff on their car that they'll never even notice just because I like them so much. And I right. think it's I think this is kind of a situation with Robert. He doesn't have a connection to to Stannis at all. I don't even know if he has a really strong connection with Renly, but at least he likes Renly. And right. that kind of leads Robert to being like, "Well, I'm going to give it to Renly because I mm-hmm. like him. Even though Stannis is the rightful I should give it to Stannis. I hate the guy and I don't want right. him." Well, know. the other thing is, I imagine, I mean even though we know that Dragonstone wasn't hugely populated, there were still people there. And mm-hmm. I imagine, I mean, they were not happy <laughs> that oh. Oh, somebody yeah. came in. And so, like, he needed somebody who had, you know, he didn't need the velvet hammer for that. He needed the, like, he needed the aggressive, spiky chain mm-hmm. ball thing. Like, he needed somebody. <laughs> the mace. Would, yeah, he needed the mace. He needed somebody who would come in and, like, shut shit down. And, like, show no mercy. He needed somebody who would come in and rule there and take over and get those people straight. And I, that obviously he needed somebody like Stannis. So that does make sense. But, man, mm-hmm. I can see why he's... It was probably a little bit of both, honestly. It's like, yeah. well, two birds with well, one stone kind well, of thing, you know? I mean, well, it's also kind of tough to imagine Robert doing a smart political move, to be honest. <laughs> But when you when, but you saying that totally makes sense. I I I would be like, no, Stannis, you're the one I need you to go to Dragonstone and con- like quote unquote convert them to our side, basically, and make right. it ours. That make totally them your makes people. Sense. But yeah. you know, but kind of like Stannis feels about having you know being the king of Westeros. You know, he's like, no, I deserve this, but I'm not getting it, and I don't. You know, he feels like I, I wonder if it's like I just don't understand. Like it's obvious that I should be king, but. It's not giving. They're not giving it to me, you know. <laughs> to him, that it probably is like that because he is so black and white. It's probably mm-hmm. like I just don't understand why these people will give me what I'm supposed to have, you know. Like, and then, and then I would, and then his second kind of slight, which I I kind of feel for him in this. When John Aaron was killed, um, Robert didn't offer the hand of the king position to Stannis. He didn't even offer it to Renly. Actually, he didn't offer it to either of them. And Stannis mentioned this. He's like, he went all the way north to ask Ned Stark to, you know, be his hand. And he's treated Ned Stark as a brother more than I ever have been. And I can kind of feel that a little bit, you know? I know. I I was kind of like, oh, Stannis. I mean, he's like the perfect person that needs to go to therapy. Like, he needs someone to help him say, like, Stannis, you're sad. Like your brother dies, and he never told you that he loved you. Like just admit that it's okay to cry. I well, well, I mean, if you think about it, he did get some therapy, but it's from you know a red priestess who's you know. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing about therapy. You gotta be really careful about who you go to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, quick aside: when we were talking about POVs and having a character around Stannis and all that, we we're talking about Davos. I just want to note. Um, when we get to Dance of Dragons, Davos isn't with Stannis um, at the end of it. And 
Brooke, you'll see that when we get there in a million years. Yes. But um, I just want to note, just to get people excited, there is a chapter in Dance of Dragons that we get into Melisandre's POV. Oh. And I believe and I believe in Winds of Winter, we're going to be in, in her POV way more often because she's basically going to be the person that's around Stannis more often, and we need someone to be there for it. So just to Ooh, how put fun. it out there. It's, super, it's, a, it's a really dang good chapter, just, just to say. Um... <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, after and 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 I think I think Stan, I think um, of course when you read this chapter and you read Stan, you're just like, oh my gosh, this guy's so terrible. But I I think it's definitely a, a sort of a reread moment where it's like, look, the next time you read this and you really think about it, you're gonna realize that he's right, and you kind of feel bad for the guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So after he enters there, they're kind of you know they're talking about Renly and him being king, and they're and he's whining about it. <laughs> And I'm not helping the situation of us liking Stannis right now. Um, <laughs> but um, Crescent actually suggests to him, like, hey, why don't we ally ourselves with Renly? Or how about Rob? And uh, and it was he's, he's just... Or get things. them all together! Have the yeah, biggest right? army in the world! <laughs> yeah, so he off- basically, Crescent offers three options. He says, hey, why don't we ally with Renly? Stannis says no. He's like, no. I'm, you know, he's claiming himself as king. I'm not going to do that. Hey, why don't we ally with with Rob Rob Stark? Um, and Stan is like, and Stan is like, no, he's claimed to, he's claiming to be king in the north. He's going to take away half my kingdom. Hell no. And then the third one, he actually suggests, hey, why don't we send Shireen to the Eyrie and we ally ourselves with the Eyrie? And Stan actually considers that. If I remember reading it correctly, he's yeah. just like, I guess that is an option. And um, then um, they don't know though that Liza yeah. would have been basically useless. But that's a good point. <laughs> in, in theory, it was a good idea. Well, I don't well, know though because later on, Stannis says that Liza poisoned Lord Aaron, not the oh. Lannisters. Does he? Does he? He doesn't say that in this chapter, does he? No, he, he either says it or thinks it. He think he says Robert's wife, not John's wife. Really? Did I they, read that? They think Cersei did it. Like they at this point yeah. they think Cersei did it. Did yeah. I read that wrong? He Hold says on. his wife. I think, yeah, I think you might have read that wrong because I because I'm pretty sure he he says something like the Lannister woman. Up in, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think he says he just says his wife, but I think he's still referring to Robert at that point. Mm, gotcha. Not John Aaron. At least that's yeah. how I read it. No, no, no. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's, that's right because the the fact that Lysa is the one who killed John Aaron that is a giant mystery. That well, that's why I that's why I had it written. Off. You're oh. like, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Oh no, Brooke's gone. We lost her. <laughs> We're just hopping she fell, in and out. She she fell down the moon door. Moon door. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um. Let me see. Here. Let me. Oh, there you go. You there, Brooke? I'm here. I'm here. Did you fall down the moon door? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did for suggesting <laughs> such treason. Okay, so <laughs> I, I hope this never comes to it. But if we ever have to ban anyone from this Discord, that's what it's going to be called. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna they are gonna take a trip through the moon door. We're like, I'll be like, mommy, can we watch the Batman fly? <laughs> oh my! Oh, I kind of want someone in our Discord to be an asshole just so yeah, we can do like, that. can we attract a few assholes and trolls? <laughs> right. <laughs> So we can make them fly. Okay, so um, 
So basically, Stannis is kind of like toying with the idea of of uh, trying to get the veil on his side, and I think I think his view on it is that like because because in his mind he's like, okay, me and John Aaron were kind of tight. Maybe I can get his wife to help us out. Right. Plus. The veil, the veil isn't involved in this war at all right now, so they have a very strong standing army, and probably quite a large right. one as well. So just from a number, it wouldn't point of view, feel quite so much like selling out. Like the other ones are a little bit like, I mean, or a lot. Like you're really gonna have to, really gonna have to bend over a little bit and kind of mm-hmm. just be like, <laughs> give something up, right? Like, mm-hmm. You know, with Rob, it would be giving up half Westeros with Renly it'd be giving up a lot of pride points. <laughs> hmm Well most well it's also one of those like yeah, I mean imagine Stannis just being like, okay Renly, you can be king. Like, oh that's oh it's disgusting. Never. <laughs> <laughs> but while he's thinking of that idea, his wife uh, enters the room. And uh Celise Baratheon, um she's got a mustache, just putting it out there. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> but she has basically, um, she's been um, talking to Melisandre, and she's basically converted to the Red God sort of religion. And she walks in talking about, oh, the comet is a, you know, a sign that this is your victory, that Stannis, you're going to to win this war, and blah blah blah. And I don't know, there's just some contention between those two. I mean, it <laughs> kind of talks about how Stannis is like, yeah, he didn't really love his wife at all. Like maybe once or twice a year, he'll go sleep with her for. You know, because of it's it's a duty thing. But... <laughs> <laughs> hey, one second. What's up? I'm get... look, look, look. I just have to get there. My wife. When I talk about how he never understood women or was good with women, or it, they made it sound like he never just really cared about women, and it kind of makes you wonder if maybe there is more than one Baratheon brother who was persuaded towards the op- you know, the same Ooh, difference. good point. Maybe closeted. Okay, sorry I'm back. My wife is making funny faces at me. <laughs> she <laughs> just she just misses me. <laughs> she likes me. <laughs> Anyways. Um so basically I was just saying that um they kind of make make a point to bring up the fact that he like he just never had any interest in women. He was never good around them. It was just never something that was important to him. And I said, it makes you wonder if he maybe wasn't the only Baratheon brother who was, you know, maybe not attracted to women. Well, um, so um, getting back to where we were, basically Selyse comes in and basically tells him, like, you don't need ally with anyone. You don't need to, you know to give up any of your kingdom. You're going to win this whole war because the comet said so. And then she... Oh no, we lost Brooke again. She fell down the moon door. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. There we go, she's back. <laughs> I don't know what keeps happening. You just keep teasing the moon, the moon door. That's what <laughs> You're like holding on, like, I'm still here. <laughs> um, and then... And then Celise actually mentioned, brings up the fact, like, we need to stop Renly out. You know, he needs to be gone. He's a false king, blah, blah, blah. And Crescent's kind of shocked by this. I mean, you know, he's been around the Baratheon kids for so long, and it basically it's just been suggested, hey, one one sibling should kill the other. Yeah, he's like, no. And it's, you know, as a pseudo-father that he is, it's kind of rough to hear. But yeah. basically, Stannis ends up dismissing him, saying, you know, just basically leave. 
and uh, Mr. Crescent head, heads back to his room, you know, thinking, and this is kind of what we learn about him being sort of a pseudo father to them. And um, let's see. Da, da, da. And then, and he basically sees Melisandre as the cause of this whole thing. That she's the one who has converted Solis to the Red God, and it's starting to influence Stannis and his decision making. You know, and 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 I think this way of thinking totally makes sense. You know, what's the thing that's changed? What's the foreign thing that's you know in mm-hmm. that's changed up our lives? It's Melisandre. It's this person who's come out of nowhere, and right. you know, flip things on their head. So he heads back to his to his uh, quarters. And we get a very detailed description about the Strangler, this poison that's uh, that was created, and it, you know it's tasteless, it's odorless, you know it's the it's the the super secret, awesome, amazing poison that kills everybody. And, I, and by the way, I was reading it, and it was talking to me like, oh yeah, you got to get this flower, and you got to brew it for this long, and you got to put sugar in it, and you got to brew it with limes, and and I'm just Ashes. like, <laughs> and I'm just like, how in the hell did they even figure this thing out? Right. Like, I know. Like, you know what this poison's missing? Limes. We need to put <laughs> limes in it, and that'll do it. It's not you know? quite deadly enough. Yeah, it's just, acid. It just kind of blew my mind about just kind of how deep we went into it. I know. I love the reminder, too, that, like, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, just a reminder that all maesters are low-key, like, murderer potentials also. <laughs> I know. Like, That's they true, could save yeah. you, but they could also kill you. <laughs> pretty much yeah 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 it's like you know once you study how to heal someone you also learn how to kill them as well yep, they're all walking around with purple grains of rice in their pocket <laughs> the, they might Those, kill you any moment <laughs> by the way i want to i want sleeves with pockets in them i think that's pretty cool so true yes. so um so he basically goes to sleep and his plan is basically to poison melisandre and to take her out of the picture to get things and i love how he's like Tonight, murder. But first, a nap. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I have to rest in order to kill him. You he's know. been around Stannis too long. Like, he's too oh, calm. There'd be too much going on in his mind. And he wouldn't be like, oh, man, should I do this? I don't know. But he was just instantly like, okay, murder. <laughs> <laughs> Next, <Right>. nap. <laughs> so, um, so he takes a nap, sleeps too long, wakes up and realizes, like, whoa, like I have to be there. I have to get going. So he... Calls out to Pylos, who doesn't come up, so a couple servants help him to the party. And, by the way, it describes the entrance to kind of the Great Hall. You have to walk into the mouth of a dragon. Yes. Which is I love that. Yeah. I love that. I was like, damn. Dragon which, which by the way, is, is pretty, like, haunting and, like, I don't know. In my brain, I was like, eh, Crescent, this isn't going to go over very well. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just had this yeah, sort of haunting image. So, um, he goes into the party. And uh, Melisandre sitting by Stannis. Uh, Patchface is, you know, doing his weird thing. Um, <laughs> and and ba- basically he walks in and they're just like, oh, you know, why didn't you wake me? And they're like, dude, you're freaking old. Like, sorry, man, but you're not really useful to anymore. He's talking to Stannis is saying this and it's just kind of a shock to his system. <laughs> and so he's trying to figure out how he's going to get the poison to Melisandre he ends up tripping over Patchface, and then oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he trips, trips, falls into Patchface, um, and then someone comes to help pick him up, and he believes it's a knight or someone who's there to help <laughs> him, and it turns out it's Melisandre. And I think I think the buildup that we've had 
this whole chapter, you know, we've talked about Melisandre, we hear about her influence, you know, there's a lot of build-up to her, and I think it just, I mean, I think it works, because we met Melisandre, and she is just a big character. I mean, she demands attention, the way she's described is just, like, eye-catching, and it's like, whoa, like, this is somebody who I need to focus on. She sounds, like, super hot, but, like, seven feet tall and muscular. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and then, True. Um, have you guys listened to the audiobook? I have, yeah. I, that's, I typically listen to it on audio, and then mm-hmm. I go back and read our chapters before the discussion. Yeah, like, the voice for Melisandre is very, like... Low husky, yeah. Low husky, <laughs> kind of like, Ugh. and you're just like, whoa, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because Carice Van Houten, who plays Melisandre on the show, is just so like petite and like, like they obviously went with a much more feminine, which they don't describe her as not being feminine in the. She's just big too. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. She's definitely taller and, and pale yeah. breasts. Like, oh, dang, heart, heart-shaped face. Like, she sounds hot, and they're like, and huge, bigger than it, taller than any man there. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're like, whoa. Um, let's see. Da-da-da. So yeah, she helps. She helps him up, and he's just kind of like, oh my gosh, like, I need to kill this woman. Like, she, you know, she's she's <laughs> he's not very happy about the situation, and um. I don't know, we get kind of a rough moment here. Basically, um, basically, Solis and Stannis kind of bring up the fact, like, look, Crescent, you're so old, we're dismissing you from our service. And they tell him to basically put on Patchface's helmet. You know, which is it's kind so of rough. Yeah. You're kind of reminding me of when, um, oh, gosh, losing names again, when, uh, <laughs> Wow, I, I like never do this. What's wrong with my mind tonight? Um, never mind. Keep going. Okay. Right, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, well, it's just kind of rough because Solis kind of mentions it, and then Stannis even like encourages it, which is really weird to hear from Stannis. I mean, Stannis is a just justice person. You know, you did a bad thing, you have to be punished, even though you did a good thing in terms of Davos. But he's never really cruel. Even even Crescent even brings that up. So it's kind of shocking to him that Stannis is well, going along yeah, with Yeah, because it. somebody who would, who would be on board with mocking would be somebody who at their core also jokes, I think. Like, mm-hmm. if, you, if you have the ability to make jokes, then you have the ability to be mean with jokes. And that's basically what they did, was made a joke of so they can all laugh at him. So it does seem very against his character. And like, like maybe Stannis was just kind of going along, like, you know, like when kids just kind of go along with what the other kids are doing because it's, just, you know, well, yeah. if everyone, if everyone's laughing, mm-hmm. it's all laugh too. And you're like, it just doesn't seem like him at all. Well, it's just kind of interesting because you get that moment. And then Solis kind of mentions like, oh, you should start singing, like be a fool that way. And then Stan is kind of, I don't know, I feel like he kind of wakes up. Maybe he was just caught in the moment. But he's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Like, that's cruel. Like, we don't, no, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe he was a little drunk. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't sound like Stan's either. But either way, that occurs. Um, he uh, Basically, he asks, look, I know you dismissed me, Stanis, but can I still sit up, sit up on the high table with you? He's like, yeah, sure. And Davos is like, hey, you can come sit by me. So he goes, sits by Davos, 
he gets his courage up. He, you know, he's like, I need my hands to be steady. He grabs a cup, slips in the poison, and he then he tries to kind of, you know, he kind of plays it off like, all right, Melisandre, let's have a drink together. Let's, you know, you know, let's yeah. let's, let's get past like let bygones be bygones. Yeah. yeah. So they meet up. They meet in the middle. He hands him the drink, and I love that Melisandre basically like calls him out. He's like, you don't want to do this. Like, you know, you. She know she knows it's poison, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she says you don't want to do this, and he's like, I have to do this. And she, you know, she drinks it, and she takes a big old swig. Like, there's barely any wine left over. I thought it was Davos that was like, "Hey, what, buddy? What are you doing there?" Well, well, Davos does. Davos does see it, and there is that moment. But Melisandre <laughs> also says that. To okay. Him, which is pretty amazing. I'll flip to it just to double check. But um. Well, I'm sure you're right. But um, but yeah, she takes a big old swig. Nothing happens, and she hands it back to him and says, "It's your turn now." And he drinks it, and he dies. And <laughs> poor Crescent. Poor Crescent, and Melisandre survives. The the poison didn't have any effect on her. I think she brings up the fact that you know fire cleanses, and yeah, her we're ruby kinda... necklace glimmered. Yes. And um so yeah, we're kinda left on this pretty ominous note for the first chapter. It's just like, oh dang, like Oh man. Yeah, yes. I mean, so that's the end of the chapter. And I think it was a I think it was a great chapter that introduced us to Davos, to Stan, to Lise, to Melisandre, to that kind of that whole world that we we that he didn't really bring Grimm didn't really bring us to because there was so much happening in the first mm-hmm. book, I feel. It's crazy how quickly he can get you attached to a character. <laughs> like, we just met Crescent, but all of a sudden, you just really feel like you know this guy and his history, and you know his, you know his heart, like what kind of guy he is. And he's doing something that's probably, he made a choice to do something that, you know, he doesn't love that he's going to do it, but he knows it's the right thing to do for the greater good, you know, for the realm, as Varys would say. And... He makes a decision and he's gone, guys. He's gone. It's sad. <laughs> it is sad. I'm like, how do I already have such strong feelings for this old man? Right. Well, sad. well, I mean, we're with the heck. The first, the first chapter is 21 pages. It's pretty. It's a pretty big chapter. Right, and my paperback is like 39 pages. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did want to read that line real quick. She says, um, "It's it is not too late to spill the wine, Maester." And he mm. says, "No, mm. no." And then it occurs, and it's just like, oh. I bet at that moment he knows, like, okay, I'm going down too. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm in trouble. <sighs> hey guys, we just finished the first chapter in the books. We oh, it felt so good. It did feel awesome. Now, what what a great start! I think this is probably one of the stronger prologues we get in all the whole series, and just what a killer way to start the books off. I'm I'm even more hyped to get to the next three chapters. It's gonna be yes. it's gonna be so good. Oh man. So kind of my last note I want to put on this. Um so when Game of Thrones the, the, the first book ended, we kind of have these last two chapters of the King in the North and Danny and the Dragons. And I mentioned this in that episode, but it was kind of these two chapters of one's the political ending and one's the magical ending. And mm-hmm. I feel like the prologue of this book is almost like a blend of both of those for sure we get the Mm -hmm. position of stannis what his plans are trying to recruit people but then we're introduced to melisandre who brings that is kind of like just the embodiment of magic 
You know, she has all these strange powers that no one can explain. And, you know, she's kind of melded into Stannis' story now. And I think it's just a great, this is just a killer prologue to this book to kind of, you know, it brings those two, puts them together, and then we're off to a new story. It's awesome. So good. It was really good. Pretty much. Do you guys have any last thoughts before we move on? I don't. Nope, that was it. It's fun to read every time. Awesome, awesome. Well, why don't we um, thank you guys for joining us for that section. I think we're going to move into The Readers on the Wall after dark, which, you know, super um, NS, not safe for work, everybody. Heads up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're going to be talking about kid movies right now. Yes, we are. <laughs> so um, here, Madison, why don't you tell us what our top three is for tonight? And then um, and if we can kind of cruise through it just at a decent pace, yeah. that'd be awesome. I just got to get my kid up to up to bed and all totally. that stuff. But. Yeah, I gotta get to bed myself. Yeah. <laughs> so We're, yeah, we like top... we like doing this, but we are responsible people, unfortunately. <laughs> so the topic that we're going to chat about tonight is your most iconic movies from your childhood. So I had to specify in our you know our little pre-group chat. So not your favorite kids movie necessarily, but because you can still like kids movies now, I do it all the time. But when you were a kid, what movie really? Like, close your eyes, you're seven years old, you're sitting on your couch, what are you probably watching? Like, what is a movie that you watched over and over again and just totally defined your childhood? So we're going to go top three. We did this with my siblings a couple weeks ago. It was so fun. So I thought <laughs> we'd do it t- tonight, too. Do it with siblings, probably. That sounds like a ton of fun, actually. It was mm-hmm. so fun. You, know, you grew up five, with them. And, yeah. and there were some overlaps. But we all have about three years between us. And so we were. it was that that feeling of like, oh, I remember when you watched that. That was so annoying. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you pretended like you were a dog for a week, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was good times. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, yeah, we're gonna, uh, we'll just go on our our classic order um okay. i'm gonna start out my number three is harriet the spy have you guys Ooh. have you guys ever seen that movie i've never seen this movie okay so premise of it there's a you know see, well, i don't think it's even it's probably middle school um i can't even remember the, who the actress is but she's ba- she you know she's a she's a spy not like a super secret spy but she just you know she spies on kids in the school and she has a journal and she writes down all these kind of mean things about the kids and they end up finding the journal and make it fun of her. And it's super sad. It makes me cry every time. (laughs) Rosie O'Donnell is in the movie. I don't know. It's such a unique, strange movie to me. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's just, I remember, I think the reason I watched it so much because it was an orange tape. You know, it was the uh, orange VHS. The orange it was a Nickelodeon. They always hit different. You could always find it, and you know, I always made sure to rewind it. And I don't know, there was just the. I think part of the reason it was such a big impact on me is because like there's just these really big emotional moments where it's like, oh my gosh, they're all making fun of her and she's crying, and you just feel no, so terrible about um... the whole situation. And I think it just had like honestly, I think that's why I cried so much as a kid because I watched that movie so much. <laughs> Um, I always remember that the hat that Rosie O'Donnell wore in that movie, like yeah. like backwards, yeah, the backwards thing, hat. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my number three. It's a, that's, it's a that's great, great movie. One. I I, 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 think, I think anyone can watch it right now. It's so good. 
It is. I think we're also going to feel our age differences because we all have just enough gap between our ages that <laughs> I think we're going to hear some movies that were like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that, but I've never seen it. Or like, oh, my younger siblings like that. But yep. Um, okay, so my number three, and you guys may have never seen this. I don't know. My number three is All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh, oh my god! I've heard of it, but I've never seen okay. it. Okay, okay. I just want to, I want to, I want to state something about that movie real quick. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, Madison. <laughs> that movie is the most uncomfortable movie I've ever watched. <laughs> I don't. It is. I don't it's, know. So it's terrifying. Go. It it's it's in your face at a young age, dealing with like heaven and hell, like, um. Basically, yeah, like this dog dies and he goes to hell and he goes to heaven first, but he makes a deal because he wasn't supposed to be there. And it's, I watched it recently with my kids and they didn't like it. And I was sitting there like, why did I like this movie so much? (laughs) There's not even a glowing recommendation for me. I just remember when I was a kid that I watched it all the time. And maybe it's because I didn't have a ton of options because, you know, there was no streaming. There's no Netflix. I mean, mm-hmm. even going to Blockbuster was like a once a week kind of thing. We didn't own tons of movies because buying something on VHS was like $29.99, which in 1989 was like the equivalent of $60 probably. <laughs> so you had the movies you had and you watched them, you know? And so All Dogs Go to Heaven is definitely iconic for me. Like I remember it. I remember it shaping me, but um, I don't Necessarily. Yeah, I, I honestly kind of want to go watch it now for some reason, but yeah, but it's, I, I feel like I need to watch it just to experience it once. It, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's just it's one of those movies you're like, I don't know how you thought this was a good movie, but I still want to watch it. I, the well, other thing yeah, about it wasn't it, awful or anything. It's just it, it's dark. It's heavy. It is. It is. Yeah, it is definitely heavy. The other thing about it, so I don't know if I'm describing this right, and I don't know. If, I don't know the art style of that movie is so uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's almost like, okay. Have you guys ever seen Zootopia? Yes. Okay. So there's a scene where they go into this yoga place and none of the animals yeah. have clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> and us as the audience, we're actually uncomfortable with it. It's really weird how they do it. It's like, it's like, we're so used to seeing animals with clothes in the movie, and then when you see one without one, it's like, whoa, hold on. And they're like, oh, right. <laughs> Nailed the kid's eyes. Yeah. So that's what all dogs of dogs go to heaven feels like to me. Whenever I watch it, it's almost like they're supposed to have clothes on, but they're not. It's kind of like this yeah. weird sexual. Well, and it was draw. in the, I don't know. It's really weird. Anyway, the glory so, days of Disney, and it's not a Disney <laughs> movie. <laughs> like, they did not have the Disney budget. Like, all the good animators at that time were. Yeah, there were and <laughs> they were at like Warner Brothers or something, and it was like B tier for sure. <laughs> right. All right, Brooke, why don't you right, scooch on? My number three is Disney's Pete's Dragon. I don't know Ooh. if you guys have you guys seen that movie? So, I have. I I actually have never seen that movie. Oh, it's so good. I don't know. It's just one of those things. It was one of the movies that I ended up with at my, you know, at my house somehow when I was little. But I, it was one of my favorites. Apparently, I've always had a thing for dragons. I love dragons. And 
but they the the songs are just so catchy it's about this little um this boy he lives with a terrible family they like abuse him and stuff and he runs away and he finds this nice family um it's a mom and her father and they are lighthouse keepers and it's it's a it's a really good story about how like um the dragon helps save the town at the end, but he's invisible. Only the kid can see him. And it's just a really, it's a good movie. And the songs are really catchy. (laughs) So that's why it's my number three. Good choice. Good choice. Um, So we made one round and I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to shout out some um, of our discord members who put up their lists. Um, Yeah. Just going to throw them out real quick. So Shike put up his top three, um, his Lion King, Atlantis and Monsters, Inc. And I think oh, that's, a, that's a. Those are uh, solid. I, I think you could say, by the way, I think Shike's a little younger, possibly. I was like, I was like, man, that's like nothing near like when I was watching movies. I guess like I like I like all three of those, especially Atlantis. That is a hidden. Atlantis gem. is such an underrated movie. It is a underrated. Man, killer movie. So, anyways, I uh, just wanted to shout that out. I've I have two other people who put put up their list. I'll share later on. Cool. Okay, so my number two, George of the Jungle. Oh yeah, oh, I love that movie with Brendan uh, Fraser. Brendan Fraser, yeah. man, he stole my heart. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes, that, I love that movie. I, I think I, okay. So the reason why, so basis of the story, people go in the jungle. They meet a guy named George. He swings from trees. You know, George the jungle hits a tree, and they bring him back to the city. Uh, the, <laughs> the two mo- the two things that really stood out to me. One, there's a scene where Brendan Fraser is like hanging around this horse and all these women are like watching him and it's just the most like it's the most like fabio moment ever his hair is like flowing and he's all like oh horses they're so nice and they're just like wow they're like oh my gosh and the other thing there's a narrator in the story um you know it's just he narrates the whole thing as you watch it and there's moments where the the characters will interact with the narrator like he's really there like one of them's like like the narrator says something and the guy's like, you know what? You could shut up. You could just go away. Yeah. <laughs> and the other guy's like, yeah, they break you... the third wall a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> and the other guy's like, did you just fight with the narrator? <laughs> it, it was just the first concept of that being a thing. And I, and honestly, almost any show, if it has a narrator, I'll love it. Like, like Jane, the Virgin has a narrator throughout the whole yes, thing. I love and, it, and, and it makes it so funny it makes it so good i just like Mm -hmm. like i just want to go on a spree of movies and tv shows that have narrators so anyways that's my that one's my number two good choice (laughs) okay with my second choice i'm coming in with another sketchy (laughs) b-tier movie oh wait um okay i have my guess okay i like i still love this movie so much and it was on all of my siblings top five um so apparently my whole family just got really into it um my number two is rockadoodle i have, have no idea I've, what that is yeah i've never even heard of this one <laughs> okay so it starts out live action and it's oh. at this farm and it floods and it's like really like intense and they're like trying to save the animals and everything and the rooster you know, it, I don't want to spoil it for you guys. So they have the rooster, and the sun won't rise because the rooster's not there to crow. And so then it goes into full animation, and the rooster goes to like Vegas to become a Elvis impersonator. Oh my yeah. god! Oh my god! This is so it's amazing. called Rockadoodle, and it's like a rock and roll um, rooster. This, you, you know what and, that's out? 
that you sounds have like got a, to find it and watch that, it. It is that, one of my favorites. That almost sounds like a prequel to Chicken Run, by the way. <laughs> yes! Chicken <laughs> Run is so good. But it's, that is a, a killer movie. Anyways. So anyway, yeah, I don't know if Rockadoodle is on saying. like Rock, Rock Netflix, okay. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Blue, whatever. I don't know what it's on, but you got to find it and you got to watch it. I love Rockadoodle. <laughs> Okay, I will. Okay, I got, so far, yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch down, probably both of your suggestions. I will. I will. <laughs> All right, okay, so my Maybe number two. Jamie's new go-to-bed movie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and the other thing about Rockadoodle is it has a very, very, very scary owl who is like a kind of Dracula-looking guy. And he plays a huge oh, pipe organ. Oh, jeez. Oh, I hate the pipe organ in Beauty and the Beast in the Christmas movie. Oh it's the creepiest thing ever. Oh my gosh, Brooke, you just oh no. <laughs> I'm gonna have bad dreams tonight. That damn organ. Oh. Well, now imagine an owl with a sketchy animation playing a pipe organ. <laughs> no, that's just not right. All right, Brooke. All right, my number two is this movie so my sister and i we were always we shared a room for a really long time even though we were five years apart so we and we were the kids we had to have something on the tv to fall asleep to like we fell asleep to a movie every single night so the movie that we fell asleep to the most is my number two which is the wizard of oz Uh, i love the wizard of oz i've watched that over and over and over we had the extra deluxe vcr that had like the behind the scenes at the end Mm -hmm. so like i know all these facts and stuff oh yeah so wizard of oz that's my number two it's a good one perfect um uh, another list from our uh discord channel um broken king his is toy story hercules and robin hood the the one hercules yeah so I, I like Toy Story. My son loves Toy Story. But Hercules and Robin Hood, those yes. are killer. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, if I, we I, were doing a top three Disney tier, Hercules would be on mine. Just to spoil oh, that yeah. ahead of time. I love Hercules. It's so underrated. Yes. It's so good. I actually have a Prince John costume that I was going to wear to um, Disneyland, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and COVID happened and ruined my life. So anyway. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um. So I'm going to do two honorable mentions real quick. Um, w- uh, one honorable mention is uh, the Page Master, which is just... I don't think I've ever seen that. Never- oh, my either. God. Okay. Sorry. I know this is an honorable mention. It's got Macaulay Culkin in it. Ooh, say less. I'm in. Start- it starts out live action. He go- he goes to this library. Ooh, yeah, and he, yeah, gets- yeah. he gets sucked into... No, 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 no yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, he he wa- he goes to this library and there's a there's a painting of a wizard on the mm-hmm. on the ceiling yep, and, and it melts, lands on him. He turns animated. It was a killer video game, by the way. Wow. And he he goes on all these adventures with these with these books, horror, adventure, and fantasy, and he has to kill a dragon at the end. It is it's so yes. good. Brooke, I, I have seen. It. You know, I honestly, it's so funny you say that though because Max has a box of V of VHS tapes and on. The very top is this Page Master movie, and I'm like, "What is this movie? Like, I am not going God. to watch this." Like, so now like, I have to watch it. No, no seriously, it's <laughs> like, like I want to go watch it now. It's totally worth it. Um, <laughs> my other honorable mention is Scamper the Penguin. Have you guys ever oh, heard of that? I've never heard of that. Have you heard of Scamper? 
uh, Madison? You know, I, I thought I had, but I think I'm thinking of Pebble and the Penguin. So yeah, the same thing. Okay, so it's basically the same story, actually. Okay. But but yeah, Scamper is just super badly animated, and I just remember watching <laughs> it as a kid. It's, it's just a penguin like gets he gets drifted off to the sea on a piece of ice. There's a killer whale. These humans catch him, and then the killer whale like I think saves him or something like that. But anyways. cool. So, well, penguins are my second favorite animal. I'm low-key <laughs> obsessed with penguins, so I will watch it. <laughs> like, I love penguin movies. I think, it's only, movie. I think it's only like 25 minutes or something. It's really short. Oh. Uh, my number one, Matilda. <laughs> it's Matilda. Yes! Oh, that's I such a good movie. Okay, so you got a you got a great actress who plays Matilda, and mm-hmm. it's just a story about a, a a little girl doing what she wants, being a strong girl. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's got a great Again, message. It's got a narrator. It's got a narrator. It has Mrs. What's her name? Uh, Principal, like. Every what? day when I put my hair up in a bun, I'm like, Mrs. Trenchville. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, what's his name? What's the, what's the narrator's name? Um, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. Okay, it's got Danny DeVito. Well, that's all you really need. Yep, um, right. You got a terrible family. Um, you got a narrator. You got Miss And probably the most important thing, you got Miss Honey, who, Oof. let's just face it. I have a crush on Miss Honey. <laughs> Fox. I mean, yeah. so good. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's got, it's just got a great story. It's honestly like, like you watch it and you're like, this is just a good movie. Like it's got a great message. It's got great. And it's acting. terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's got terrifying moments. The chokey, by the yes. way, by the way, in my old rental, I had a chokey in my house. <gasps> It was a food pantry with a lock on the outside for some reason. And I was like, in, in my last apartment, we had the creepy closet and it had the same thing. It had a lock on the outside when we moved in. I was like, that's that. I was like, it's the chokey. I just need to bang some nails in it. And that's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Matilda is. No, love it. Great choice. Great choice. <laughs> okay. So I also have two very quick honorable mentions. Um, I want to talk about. The first movie I ever saw in theater, which is very, very iconic to me, and that was Oliver and Company. Yeah, baby. Oh, I've never <laughs> seen that one. I've always oh, wanted it's to. It's so though. good. The so music good. in it is so Great. good. It's a killer. So movie. good. Yeah. And I just I love it still to this day. And then I want to do a most underrated shout out. This <laughs> is one of my my two younger brothers. This is their favorite movie, and we watched it all the time. I don't think it was super mainstream popular but then i rented it at the library for the kids the other day and it turns out i'm like this movie needs more attention because it is so good um quest for camelot ah okay i um there was on on a vhs i had there was a recording of a of a tv show mm-hmm. and one of the commercials was for quest for camelot so i saw the trailer a million times but i never saw the movie well <laughs> good news for you guys it's actually new to netflix it's on Netflix now. So, <laughs> so you should watch it. You should have um, Jamie watch it. It's super <laughs> underrated. It's a great movie. Okay. But my number one, and this is going to, I feel like this is very unoriginal, but you guys don't understand. Like, <laughs> I feel like this still to this day, this movie like influences like the way I, like the colors I pick for things, the, the way I, the way I collect and hoard things, <laughs> the way I sing, the way I try to do my hair, like literally is still influencing. And it is 
the Little Mermaid. Ah, uh, I, I mean, everything Ariel. Like, I just, I was obsessed with the Little Mermaid. And I still to this day, like, if so, like, I always am drawn towards, like, under the sea stuff. I'm always drawn towards those, um, like, jewel tones that are associated with mermaids. Always drawn mm-hmm. to like, the teals and the purple and the coral. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Like, I am a collector <laughs> to the max. And I can watch it over and over and over again when I'm five. And I will watch it over and over and over again when I'm 35. Like, I just, I just love it. I think it's just like a perfect movie. I know that they are working on a live action um, version. And I have high hopes for it, and I'm really excited for it. So, definitely a little more made for me. Perfect. I love it. Oh, good choice. Good choice. <laughs> My two honorable mentions, really quick, were Hercules yes. and yes. the Sword in the Stone. Oh. Yes. The Sword in the Stone, I think, is the earliest movie I can mm. ever remember watching. And obviously. It is what made me love medieval things movie. today. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. I laugh. I, I, I laugh every time I watch that movie, like I, out loud. It's just so funny. Great choice. I, I just want to state, by the way, if we ever do top three Disney, which I'm sure we will, we might need to do old and new at some point. Um, right? I think all my top three just got mentioned throughout this whole conversation. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> so good. All right. And then good. my ultimate number one is another one that I watched over and over and over again at night. This one, but I've watched it many times during the day, too, because I just love it. I could recite probably 95% of this movie in order. It's Shrek. I mean, (laughs) it's a classic, people. (laughs) It just makes me laugh. Rex and I watch it probably once a month. Like, we love it. (laughs) That's so awesome. Okay, 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 Brooke, super quick. Rank the Shrek movies, one to three. Which one's the best? Which one's the worst? Um... (laughs) I'm going to go in order. Shrek 1, 2, 3. There you go. Yep. Uh, I, I will say I, th- I like Shrek 2 better than Shrek 1, but <gasps> so, that's okay. It, they're, <laughs> they're pretty close, honestly. Like, they're really for a sequel. Shrek 2 is they not are, that bad. Yeah, It's pretty dang good. Um, um, have you ever watched the Shrek musical? Oh, no, I have not. And I want <laughs> it's really to. good. If you like musicals, it's really good. I do. Um, I do love musicals. Let's see. So I have one more Discord um, submission from Jane. Um, she actually ha- she actually cheated into two lists: one live action, one Disney. But that's okay. <laughs> um, she did um, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, and Pocahontas. Which Beauty and the Beast? I just realized that actually might be on my top three because that is a great movie. Yeah. Um, and then live action Jumanji, um, The Mighty Ducks. Which is a, I love that one actually. Awesome. And uh, the Karate Kid. So good. good. Oh, that's a good one too. I have a the short, short, funny story about Pocahontas. When I was a kid and it was new movie, we didn't see it in theaters, but we rented it. And I couldn't get into it because I was just cringing the whole time at how incredibly <laughs> historically inaccurate it was. Like even at like eleven years old or eight, or I, I just look at the year to know how old I was. But I was young, and it was I just knew enough that I just couldn't like it. Oh, and that's, that's when I started funny. being one of those pedantic people who's like, "Well, the book is better than the movie." Like that's where it all started. You were just born. You were just born that way, Madison. I was just born that way, and I just couldn't. I could not let myself enjoy it, not even a little bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, see, I, I, see, I never liked Pocahontas. It was scary at the, at the very I do end. like the music <gasps> in it, though. It has some good I songs. I love Pocahontas. Oh, it scared me. It, like, when I was a kid, it scared the crap out of me. I was like, no. I really like Pocahontas 2 as well. That is another <laughs> good sequel. Interesting. Okay. That's, maybe we should do that list someday. Best sequels. Three best <laughs> yes. Sequels. I yes. Like, I like that. It does like have that. good music, though. You think you own whatever land you lend on. <laughs> all right guys um i think we all got stuff to that was do fun before the night is over that was a great uh, that was man i just want to i just want to keep chatting about it to be honest there's so many i know that was a really good topic <laughs> I, I, I will say i i think i am gonna go watch all dogs go to heaven just so i can feel a little uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> that or quest for camelot and have a, a great time there you go <laughs> <laughs> all right guys i think we're gonna wrap it up for the night um thank you thank you for anybody who's who's listening we had a great time this episode i think the prologue was a just a killer chapter to start this book off of and i'm excited for the future for the next oh, three chapters. Me too. it's gonna be great um so next j- just a little reminder next week we're gonna be reading the next three chapters which is chapter one to three. That's actually another reason why we decided to do the prologue by itself so that the chapter numbers will line up with the episodes. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're going to be doing um, Arya's first chapter, Sansa's first chapter, and Tyrion's first chapter, I believe. Yes. Get it, get perfect. it. Ooh. It's going to be good. All right, guys. Everyone say goodbye to Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, guys. Have a good night, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.